everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Thurston County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, it's uh, Brian, uh, and uh, here with the Hawk Blogger crew for another episode of Real Hawk Talk. I feel like I've got a uh, coming out of my head, which uh, I don't know if that's really appropriate um, at this point. So I might turn that light off here in a second. But um, I, I digress. Uh, with me, as always, or as often as possible, um, co-host we got. Jeff Simmons up in Toronto uh, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. Welcome, Jeff. And that's when you say thanks, Brian. Yeah, frozen Jeff again. <laughs> Jeff's frozen. All right. The other people we've got on the show are Nathan Ernst. Uh, Nathan, welcome to the show. How's it going? Good, man. Good. Good to see you. And and of course, Evan Hill and his fiance hiding behind him. <laughs> Very nice. I like that. You're not in a some sort of like a warehouse today. We we uh, yeah. we're interested in why that is. Yeah. I'm, uh, so I was in the process of moving over the past couple podcasts. So my entire house was full of boxes, but now we've got a bookcase, um, a little you know Danger Russell Wilson poster up, Seahawks fan zone. Stuff is coming together. It's looking good. Impressive, dude. Well, congrats on your move and. Um, We've got so much to talk about tonight. It's been um, a really wide array of emotions, ranging from disappointment to anger to maybe even a little bit of excitement um, about change. You know, like uh, I think I'd love to hear from you guys. Um, you know, first of all, let's just start with with talking about a little bit about what we saw on Sunday. Um, and, and I really don't want to get into the game detail, but where were you as, you know, emotionally as Blair Walsh set up for that kick and where were you after? Uh, let's start with you, Nathan. Oh, I was extremely ready for Blair Walsh to miss that kick. <laughs> I feel like this entire, and like, I'm not alone. Like everybody was ready for that. I feel like this entire season was building up to Blair Walsh missing a kick, causing them to lose a game and it didn't keep him out of the playoffs, uh, but it would have. Uh, I, I, afterwards, I don't know. I mean, there was so much criticism of Russ and I fall on one side of that. So I was pretty fired up about that. Um, but yeah, I just, I, uh, I don't know, a little, uh, angry for sure, but then just anxious, I guess. And I'm still just anxious. Like this team obviously has, and Pete talked about it today in his interview, which was amazing. 
it has so much work to do. Uh, there's so much change and transitioning um, and turnover that needs to happen. And, you know, I kind of just, I guess I immediately went into that hurry up and wait mode, which is the worst feeling for me. I, I, I can't stand it. So um, I've just been agitated and anxious and periodically just absolutely furious with Tom Cable uh, and uh, kind of amused. The Blair Walsh thing, kind of amusing. I, I, that was actually uh, a nice little cherry on top, I think, all things considered. Well, I'm looking forward to your, your Cable rant, and I think you probably will not be the only one with such, uh, such a rant. Evan, um, you know, you are, you are a career optimist, uh, and, and you went as far as having to run the table shirt, and I, I think that that was one. Hey, don't, don't hang your head, man. Life we comes all, at you fast. <laughs> we all we embrace, embrace that from you. Um, and Will, who's not here tonight, he's sick. Feel better, buddy. Um, you know, where are you at when you, you see the way the season ended and, and uh, you know, immediate aftermath? Um, what was going through your head? Yeah, so I, just going back to the Blair Walsh kick, knowing that the, knowing that the Panthers weren't going to win that game, I was actually – this is crazy because it's so counter to my nature and my personality. I was absolutely rooting for Blair Walsh to miss that kick knowing that we would get a better draft pick in the end, a better, a better, a higher selection choice in the first round. So I was absolutely rooting for him to miss it. I did not give a single shit about that game. Um, once we knew, you know, the Panthers were going to lose in the fourth quarter. So I, I, I was already looking ahead. I was like, you know, if it's, if it's a difference between 18, 17, 16, whatever, and 20, miss the kick. I don't care about the win. Could not care any more less about this season. I'm so done. I'm moving past it. I can't even – I can't – the season was a disaster. It was a complete disaster, and this game was a complete microcosm of, of, of what occurred with Blair Walsh missing in the end. It was just a complete disaster. So I'm actually very thankful he missed the kick. I think um, it bodes well. It bodes better for us moving forward. So I, I've, got no, I've got no problems with him missing the kick. But um, moving forward, every single hour that Tom Cable is not fired, my anxiety and my anger grows. And I become more pissed off every single second. I don't see a breaking news report by Ian Rappert or Adam Schefter <laughs> or Brian Nemhauser from Hot Blogger. Every single second, I get more angry. So that's you know, what I'm doing. You know, I don't break news, and I'm pretty sure Ian Rappert doesn't break any news either. But uh, if you see Ian Rappert tweet something, don't retweet it. It's it's a spoof. <laughs> yes, you know that that's a good reminder. We are as we enter the off season. Um, man, there's some really good fake accounts on Twitter. Do not be fooled. Uh, and Ian Rappert would be one of them. But um, you know, Evan, I have to ask you before I throw it over to Jeff. Um, and I hope this comes from a, a good or it comes from a good place. But hopefully, it comes across the right way. But what's you know what was the first season where you became a Seahawks fan? Like how 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 long have you been a Seahawks? I know you're on you're you're like half my age. So I have to ask that question. Yeah. We, I was talking about this with some buddies recently, uh, 2008. So I was a huge Sonics fan. NBA was my first love. Basketball was my first love. Didn't really give a single crap about the Seahawks, honestly, up till 2008. So in 2008, I was, Ooh, I'm going to make you guys feel really old. In 2008, I was 12 years old. Nice. <laughs> so okay. I became a fan once the Sonics left and you know basically I was like 
do I want to be a Mariners fan or do I want to be a Seahawks fan? Come on. And it wasn't too hard. So, no, but sorry. That was a Mariners jab that was totally unnecessary. But 2008 is the, is the short answer. Well, so so you have experienced bad years, you know? Like, oh, yeah, no, definitely. Just it has been a while. Like yeah. in my adult life, I have not experienced bad years. My, my son, who's 16, um, uh, soon to be 17, has never really been a fan when the Seahawks have won less than 10 games. So uh, this is a new experience for him. And when you said a complete disaster, that was the first thing that came to my mind is like, <laughs> I've seen complete disasters. I don't know if I put this in that category, but yeah. I think I think where for me that that rings true is when when you compare the expectations and the potential of what we really saw with this team to where they actually, what they achieved. Yeah. I think it's one of the biggest gaps we've seen in Seahawks history. And I mean, I think there's always optimism early or there's some optimism early, but this team really felt like it had a lot going for it and um, had enough, especially in, you know, there's, there's not a, a lot of great teams in general right now in the NFL um, that they, they might've been a, a real contender and man, it just never caught. It was like watching a, you know, watching someone try to start a fire and just getting not even a spark half the time, or if they did, someone would just pour douse it with a bucket of water. Like it could never quite get started. And uh, you know, you guys, I think both have some feelings about Tom Cable to share. Um, you know, Evan, you started, um, yeah. you know, I'm going to assume, uh, Nathan, that your number one change that you could make if you were in charge of the Seahawks would be to get rid of Tom Cable. Am I right? 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Why? Tell, tell us tell us what you have found as you've, have you been sending out all these uh, <laughs> tweets. I found a lot of unblocked defensive linemen is what I found. I found Russell Wilson getting tackled. Uh not even before he can hand off the ball. He just turned around and is immediately tackled. Um, and it happened twice almost in that game. Uh, you know, eight blockers, four rushers, and people are getting through. Um, I found, you know, six years of poor pass protection. Uh, I, I don't know. I just can't fathom what anyone would say to defend him. Like, if you're playing devil's advocate for Cable, what is the thing? Like, well, he just needs blank. If they just did blank, if if he only had, if, if they could put together, like, what is it? Because we've seen it all. We've seen every type of offensive lineman come through here. We've seen many different types of offensive linemen. We've seen them pay offensive linemen. We've seen them draft offensive linemen. Um, and they're all awful, almost unanimously awful. Um, we see guys regress. We see guys not live up to draft stock. We see just consistent year in and year out awful offensive lines. And I don't know what anyone is even what 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 you're hanging your hat on with Cable anymore, or what you're waiting for, so that he could have the perfect situation, so he could finally produce an offensive line worth half a damn. Like, what are we waiting for? What is the thing that we think is going to give you know let cable like actually do a halfway decent job for a change evan yeah no i, I want to continue off what nathan said so i did a little research for this i'm gonna get some, st some statistics for this because you know i'm one of those stats guys on twitter so as a as a, as a head coach in college tom cable was 11 and 35 
as a head coach in the NFL. Tom Cable was 17 and 27. Let's, let, let's, let's go to the current offensive line investment. You have a first rounder at left tackle. You have a first round talent at left guard, a second round talent at center. And by the way, that center was luck because it was his third position, a second round talent at right guard, a first rounder at right tackle. Let's go back to Tom Cable's previous years, all the way back to 2006 with the Falcons, breaking down how he how successful he was in both run blocking ranks and pass pro ranks. And these are adjusted line stats. Run blocking rank 2006 with the Falcons, 19, not great. 2007 with the Raiders, 13, okay, better. 2008, 25 with the Raiders. 2011, this is his stint with the Seahawks, 19. 2012, four. 2013, nine. 2014 and 15, both four. So you have a 2012 through 2015 period where Tom Gable, they have a good run blocking scheme. They're, they're doing well. Players are executing great in the run blocking department. 2016, 26. 2017, 31. The average run blocking rank across Tom Cable's entire tenure is 15.4. Okay, okay, he's okay. He's not a great coach in run blocking, but he's okay. Let's talk about pass pro. Let's talk about pass pro for a second. The Falcons in 2006, 31. 31. 2007, 27. 2008, 30. 2011, 24. 2012, and his best year yet, 20. 2013, 32. 2014, 24. 2015, 30. 2016, 25. 2017, 26. With an average pass pro rank of 27. Tom Cable has the cap investment. He has the draft investment. He has everything. And he has not been successful. And he has one other thing, too. He's had a running quarterback almost every year of his career. You know, what he was bad. Uh, they had a bad run blocking uh, ranking in 2011. And then they get Russell in 2012. And they're great for four years until he gets hurt last year. Right? And in yeah. Atlanta, he great. had... Yeah, in Atlanta, he had Michael Vick. Like, this guy's put together some, like, prolific, you know, yardage-wise running games. And he's had a huge crutch doing it every time. And now he can't even uh, – what is the leading running back on this team? 250 yards? They Mike Davis just passed Chris Carson this week, right? Yeah. Something like that, week before? I mean, it's, it's, it's not just bad. It's historically, like, unbelievably awful. It, there's no I, – I don't – again, I don't know what the thing is that anybody could be waiting for with Tom Cable. It's quite simple. I, I, I honestly think we get into these debates on Twitter, Nathan, and we overthink it. It's a sustained pattern of failure. The results speak for themselves. When you see Russell Wilson getting tackled in the backfield twice every single game before he even hands off the ball, the results speak for themselves. It's this simple. It's not that simple. Uh, it is. It's not that simple. It's not. Well, then what is it? What is it? No, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, and tell you that um, I will spend a single second having any, you know, sorrow if and when Tom Cable gets fired. 
fact, I'll, I'll probably be, I won't be as excited as the rest of, of Seahawks Nation, but did I just say Seahawks Nation? <laughs> Seahawks Twitter, at least. Um, but uh, look, I mean, Jeff Simmons, who's recently just rejoined us, um, looking like a member of Pearl Jam. I, I love the look, Jeff. Uh, spot on this week. We'll throw it to you in a second. Hopefully your, your internet will work. But um, look, I, I, I pulled out or I asked you guys, 2011, you know, Nathan, I think you're absolutely right. He had Michael Vick and work done back then. That was a great um, combination. Um, he had Russell Wilson and Marshawn Lynch, but the back half of 2011, he turned Marshawn Lynch into the runner that he became. Like before, before he had a conversation with, before Marshawn Lynch had a conversation with Tom Cable and agreed to run uh, the offense as it was intended and designed, Marshawn Lynch had never had a 100-yard game for Seattle. He was averaging 45 and a half yards per game and under like three and a half yards a carry. The rest of that season, even against a team like Baltimore that had Ray Lewis back then, uh, you know, I think six out of his last nine games, Marshawn Lynch ran for over 100 yards, ran for 4.6 yards a carry. That wasn't Russell Wilson. That wasn't some different scheme or different player. I, I, I think that, you know, it – I know it's not fun, but uh, I think it's way too simplistic to say Tom Cable is a completely incapable line coach that offers no value. I think that what he did um, in evolving um, uh, J.R. Sweezy is real, and I don't think that's something that a lot of line coaches could do. I think what he's done in – we could say that, yes, he tried everything with Justin Britt. There's a lot of guys that wouldn't be willing. They'd given up on him at right tackle, and that would have been a bust draft pick. He moved him around and found a spot that he felt like he could play and turned him into a pro bowl alternate center. That's something, um, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, we, we can talk about James Carpenter and progress there. I, I, the only reason I'm bringing this up partially is because I'd like to tweak you guys and see if I can get you to get even more upset, but also, <laughs> good, good. also cause you know, I hate that the world is so black and white now and that people just get completely vilified as if they have no value. There's a, there's a bleeping reason that Tom Cable got hired to do what he's done by people that are more qualified than any of us to, to, to discern that. And there's a reason that the people in that locker room respect him. So I don't think he's of zero value, but like I said, I won't be, I won't be upset if he's gone. Um, Jeff, I mean, go ahead. Nathan. Some things are just bad though. Like we can talk about, we can, we can mine Tom Cable for a few redeeming qualities. You can talk about whatever you think about Brit and whatever you think about J.R. Sweezy and whatever you think about James Carpenter. That's like three players over six years. Like, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeding you a turd sandwich and you're telling me that you like the wheat bread. Like, it's bad. It's just I bad. Think no need to good. I think what he was able to get out of Paul McQuiston at left tackle for eight games. Okay, and let's drop the degree good. of difficulty like modifier for cable ultimately what matters is if you put a good line out or not and he does not so i don't care if jr sweezy was a defensive tackle and he turned it into a passable offensive lineman i don't care what you think paul mcquiston was paul mcquiston was bad for the seahawks was he better than he should have been maybe fine i don't know but that has not been the case with most of the players that have come through for the seahawks we've consistently consistently seen very bad offensive line play so if he's going on challenge mode or if there's players that respect him, I don't really care anymore. It's, it's six years. It's two years of disastrous line play. The most important thing to Pete, 
uh, to Pete Carroll is running the ball, and they can't do it. They fired their running back coach last year. I mean, nobody nobody was going through this amount of like acrobatics to defend Sherman Smith. Why are we doing it for Cable? Because <laughs> I don't think running backs coach has any impact on the game. I, I, I think you fire him. <laughs> you put anyone in in that position, and I don't think it would have a difference. Jeff, I want to get you in here because because uh, we we will we will dominate if uh, this if you don't. So where where are you? Do do you think that that Cable has? Is there any part of you that wants Cable to stick around? Um, or has it had any value to this organization in his time here? I would say he's had value, but I think what Nathan just said sums my sums up my thoughts. The fact that they can't run the ball anymore, and he's not only the offensive line coach but the run game coordinator, that's his bread and butter. The fact that that's completely deteriorated, for me, that says it all. For me, a bigger question for Cable is he's been a zone blocking guy, and now that they've changed the rules on cut blocks and chop blocks, can zone blocking work in today's NFL? And the fact that they've completely deteriorated the last two years since they've switched that rule, to me, that's made me wonder. And I don't know. I honestly think Cable would be a better head coach than an offensive line coach, an offensive coordinator. I think Cable's got a good big picture sense of what's going on. He's a good teacher, and he has been able to identify some players earlier in his tenure. But as an offensive line coach, again, what Nathan said, just the development has gone so bad. that A lot of the guys you've mentioned, those guys haven't been around for three years, and the team has completely deteriorated those last three years, especially in his position. Identifying talent's been an issue. So, yeah, I was on Monday, I was very hungover, but also spent a lot of time on Twitter. <laughs> refreshing Twitter all day, hoping to see a coaching change. I bet you Evan was doing that. Oh, yeah. I spam it every single second. I'm checking Twitter right now. <laughs> Not actually. Right. Yeah. I was kind of, I was, I was waiting to see something on cable. I don't, just the deterioration of the run game, the fact that they can't even run block anymore, which is his been his bread and butter for pretty much his whole career in the NFL. To me, that's kind of an indication that the whole thing's not working. But Brian, I'll give you a point. He is He's known as a very good teacher. And Marshawn, I don't know if you guys saw that Dion Jordan story. But I don't, I don't think that's enough to keep him. I, I think Cable has kind of lost his way. And the fact that the offensive line's gone to the point where they've got Dwayne Brown and they got Jokel and the team is arguably worse at offensive line than they've ever been before, especially at run blocking. He's just not doing his job. It's gone to the point where progress is gone. And it's, you can make the case that that offensive line has maybe ruined what could have been a dynasty. You know what? I, I have an analogy. You know what, Brian, how do you like your steak cooked? <laughs> I'm a medium guy. I don't like it rare. Sorry. Okay, okay. So, okay. You like medium. You're a big Daniels Broiler guy. I know you love Daniels Broiler. Dove, you, oh yeah, you like the view. You like the, the taste of the steak. You like the bread. You like it all. I get it. I get it. Imagine if you went to Daniels Broiler and they cooked your steak incorrectly every single time. Would you keep going back for six years? Probably not. Oh, interesting. I'm Cable's uh, Bengals fan. <laughs> I'm waiting. Is that, is that the punchline? <laughs> That's the punchline. He does not do his job. He cooks the wrong steak. His uh, steak is <laughs> Tom Cable's steak is medium well. It is horrible. It's you bad. Know, I think I'm just a contrarian by nature because uh, I can't help but argue. I mean, it, <laughs> six years, guys, how many Super Bowls did we go to? In spite of Tom Cable. Oh, bull. Right. Bull. He was handed those players. Uh, you know, I, I what I what I have trouble with like I have zero trouble zero with him going and being fired like zero for, for I think for a lot of the reasons you guys are calling out 
if he can't get the run blocking to work, you know, if he if he can't get the, this line together, if if he can't like, I I have other problems I think than some of the ones you guys have called out. Like personally, I think the biggest issue with Tom Cable is that he's been too involved with personnel decisions, whether that's stated or not. I know John Schneider works closely with all his position coaches, all the position coaches to understand the types of players that they want to draft and what they look for, what criteria. Tom Cable, we know it. He wants guys that were wrestlers, that that are tough. He wants guys that have like, you know, he doesn't, he's clearly stated, he doesn't want guys that are polished. He wants guys that don't already know what they're doing and will learn from him. Like to Nathan's point, he does want the challenge and he wants to build these guys up. I think that's been a huge, huge problem. I also think from a blocking scheme perspective, I've never seen a line coach who asks more from his tight ends in pass blocking. Oh my God, it's so annoying. I mean, (laughs) I was shocked. One of his first years when Zach Miller was basically playing right tackle in a, in a game against the Steelers. And I was like, Zach Miller was pretty good at, I mean, he, he held up as best he could, but like, I had never seen anything like that before. And so some of the things that he does in pass protection are just ridiculous. I mean, a lot of the things he does in pass protection are crazy. And I would not be sad to see them go. But to say that Tom Cable has been a zero or has not contributed to the CX becoming the team they became, I think it completely falls. That team, before he came, had a ton of trouble establishing the identity with the run. They were a almost a pass-first team. Um, that's part of why Jeremy Bates got fired. Um, I think they had a lot of trouble. And I've seen a lot of really crappy line coaches in Seattle over the last three decades. Like, it's not it's not like offensive coordinator where there's one just waiting to rise up the ranks and become a great play, you know, great. I don't see a lot of great line coaches. So I guess I'm just not assuming that the absence of cable is going to automatically mean everything gets better. Maybe it will, but, but you know, that's the part that, that for me gets lost in the conversation a little bit. I don't know. I think that you, I mean, we probably don't truly know just how much cable contributed to those early uh, lines. Um, I mean, I think having Russell Wilson, having the talent like Marshawn, which, yeah, it's fair, you know, Marshawn didn't immediately just, I mean, Marshawn was a kind of a bust in Buffalo and he didn't immediately hit in Seattle. So, you know, if you want to credit Cable there, fine. Uh, Seattle also, you know, was on the, the, the leading edge of the read option. And so, uh, and maybe you credit Cable for that. I, I don't know. Point is, he had a lot of things in his favor. Right. He was set up to be successful. Um, and I, I, I don't know why we would think that he would have been any better there than anybody else. Because we see it now. We don't see anything now that shows us that he'd be better. Like, are they instantly going to get better if they fire the offensive line coach? N- not necessarily. Are they going to get worse? No. There's like, <laughs> there's, there's no real risk here. I mean, uh, and maybe if I, if you could convince me and you, and you won't, but if you could convince me that if you promoted cable to the offensive coordinator and he'd be hands off on the offensive line and you could hire an offensive line coach, you could actually be an offensive line coach. Maybe we could talk about the stuff about how the players believe in him and how, you know, five years or however long ago it was, Mike Robinson said that cable was the reason that they have, you know, the halftime adjustments and all that. Like, yeah, maybe we could talk about Cable as an offensive line, uh, offensive coordinator, right? Um, 
but he'll never leave the offensive line alone. He'll he'll never stop being involved in the personnel decisions because that's how John wants to run his team, and I think that's the right way to run a team. Um, and he's terrible as an offensive line coach. And I think the point that Jeff made, though, uh, about how the rules have changed um, and it makes it harder to be a zone-blocking team is also very fair. And again, Cable's not going to change. He's not going to change how he plays, how he coaches his offensive line and how he wants to play football. And so he's going to keep leaning into that um, that that way of football that maybe you can't really play or you at least can't make your bread and butter anymore. Like it's really hard to play zone with with their, the chop block rules and all that. It's really hard to to play a, a zone running game. And it's not just in the offensive or in the pass protection that uh, the assignments are really tough. It's in the run game too. You see. Uh, the offensive linemen have to make ridiculous blocks and get to ridiculous spots and beat defenders there. Um, and that's just all his scheme. Like, so, so let me push this for you guys for a second. So let's, let's fast forward and, and, you know, manna from heaven falls, Tom cables fired. It's, it's out there. Um, and the Seahawks go to draft linemen. And we find out that actually it wasn't Tom Cable. It was John Schneider all along and his scouting department that uh, actually has a really crap track record for drafting linemen, really on both sides of the ball, to be honest. Um, what then? The good thing about John Schneider is he's, or the good thing for John Schneider in that situation is he's responsible for more than just the offensive line, right? So if they continue to put out crap offensive linemen, but they continue to build the rest of the team the way they've built the rest of the team, I think you can probably, I think Schneider can probably get away with that. But yeah, it's a fair question. How much of this is Pete's responsibility? Because he wants to play this type of football. And, and I think him and Cable are probably kind of soulmates in terms of their football philosophy. And then how much of it is on John Schneider for listening to cable so much and, you know, drafting oh. those guys and all that stuff. But uh, I, I don't know. All those other people have a lot more responsibilities than the offensive line and run game coordinating, which are both yeah. very, very bad. Agreed. Agreed. And, and so, I mean, the, the specific example I have in mind, for example, is Jermaine Effetti. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I never played football other than, you know, for fun. And, uh, you know, I'm not a scout. I watched Jermaine Effetti tape at Texas A&M before he was drafted and, and watched him like a lot of stuff on film. And not a pro, but it was obvious to me the guy was really struggling in pass protection. Like he struggled in space and his feet were slow and he like was off balance a lot. How can we assume that how can we place all the blame at the feet of Tom Cable when at the end of the day, John Schneider's the one that's handing off that card to be made. How can he not step in and say, wait a second, Tom, I know that you want these really shitty <laughs> linemen, but I'm not going to let you have them. You know what? Like uh, the, 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 the thing that I'm most hopeful about, I guess, is the word was Tom Cable had nothing to do with Ethan, Ethan Posick. They, they wouldn't let him even get involved. And, and they said it was because they didn't want to turn people on to the fact that Seahawks were interested. But there's another place there that maybe John Schneider finally got smart enough to say, you don't get to have a say anymore. I'm going to start picking these things. That's my most hopeful spin on this. But otherwise, I look at this and say, I mean, Evan, how can we not hold John Schneider responsible for making these selections, for signing Luke Jokel for $8 million? Like, 
he did that ultimately. Totally. And I and I, I actually completely agree with you there. I do think John Schneider is partly held accountable to to perfectly diagnose to what extent he's accountable. At least I can't speak because I don't have that level of insider knowledge, but I, I absolutely do agree with you. He's absolutely held accountable because he's one of the top dogs. He could absolutely step in and say, no, we're going to go this way instead. I, I completely agree with you. But I think um, one of the components here is is the scouting department too. We, I mean, we don't know to what extent they're flawed, but I, I think they could be part of the problem. So we've, we've already spent a half an hour on cable, and I think everybody, everybody, like 99% of the people agree that they'd like to see him go. So let's move on to, to, to number two. Outside of Tom Cable, Jeff, what's the number one thing that you'd like to see happen this offseason? It can be a, play, you know, a type of position that gets addressed. It can be uh, a change in the front office. It can be a change in the coaching staff. What would you like to see changed after Tom Cable? I have a kind of like a two-part answer. I want to see a new offensive coordinator and a new quarterback coach. And I think just the way the offense deteriorated the last four weeks and really just the lack of identity on offense, I just think it's been problematic and was emblematic of all the problems they had this year. We could argue about Russell Wilson all day, but I don't think he's put in the best position to succeed. I think the offense relies too much on him making plays outside of the scheme. I don't think there are enough to find reads for him. And I know he misses a lot of first reads, but still, I'd like to see them design an offense that fits the quarterback. And I know a guy like Sean McVay not, won't be out there. He's a once-in-a-generation coach. But if you watch what he's done with Jared Goff, for example, and they have a great left tackle and a good running game, they make it very, very easy on the quarterback. The throws he's making are very defined, and they're very easy for him. Russell's not the best at seeing things as they progress. We can argue that. But all the first half, the slow starts, I think – just for years and years. And I don't, I don't hate on Daryl Bevel like other people do, but I would like to see a change in the design of the plays in the scheme. And just the first half starts, I want to see someone working with Russell to identify that. I don't think that's a P thing as much as it's an offense thing and it's a Russell thing. So I would like to see him get coached differently, maybe better as well, but just differently, just because I want to see him with different people to see how he would react. Nathan, you're, you're uh your top priority after after Tom Cable. Uh, I'm ready for the the purge on defense. I'm I'm ready for the and not. I mean, I love all of those guys, um, but just to see that they're ready to move on and they're ready to build the next great Seahawks defense and the next great Seahawks team, they have to move on from a lot of these defenders, um, and, and I think. You know, there's a lot of questions about like, well, do you need to get rid of Sherm? And, you know, where do you spend that money if you do get rid of guys like that? And I'm not too concerned with all that. I just really want to see the the start of the changing of the guard. Yeah, and, and to add on there for a second, um, I think if I asked you guys the thing you have the most confidence in this organization's ability to do, I would bet that it would be building a defense. Like, that's what Pete Carroll has done his whole career back into the, you know, eighties. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that there's some hope there too. If, if like Pete's sticking around, he said he's clearly sticking around, which is, I think is great news personally. Um, we can at least take some solace in the fact that we've got one of the best architect defensive architects of our generation um, at the helm to help 
work with a great personnel guy who's shown the ability to help pick some of these players to fit that scheme. So um, I think that's a that's an interesting one. I think it could be one of the more fun ones um, to see because we've seen how this defense can rise. Evan, how about you? Yeah, no, I, I think continuing off what Nathan said, I, I would love to see a purge in the defense, but more specifically, I would love to see the return of a very dominant, murderous, like defensive pass rush. Like I, I, I want to see what, like if Malik plays, I want to see what like a Malik, Dion, Sheldon, Frank, um, Naz defensive line could look like. I, I, I'm really eager to see the future of that defensive line. And hopefully, hopefully they add another piece in the draft. Um, just because Malik's situation is really filled with uncertainty. So, um, yeah, I, the, the pass rush to me was so um, – they didn't live up to expectations this year. With, with the money invested – I know, obviously, there was the injury with Cliff Averill and stuff. But to me, they didn't live up to expectations this year. And I'd love to see them uh, rebound in 2018 and really become a dominant force again. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, it's uh, I'm much more aligned with I think Jeff in that um, you know I've been banging this drum for for years now, but uh, I have some reason to believe that that um, uh, Tater um, Carl Smith, the quarterback coach, who's 69 going on 70, may hang him up, and if he moves on. Um, I think that that could be a huge opportunity. And I hope that the Seahawks are really smart about who they'd put into that quarterback room. Um, not because again, I tried to spell this out on Twitter recently, not because I think Russell Wilson's the number one problem or the number 10 problem with this team, not at all. But if you can squeeze, if you can improve Russ, you know, any amount, his impact on the whole team and ability to lift the whole team is just huge. Um, you know, if he can be that even a smidge more confident about where he's going to go with the ball before the snap, because he's reading the defenses better. And when he gets to the top of his drop, he's able to get it there with confidence decisively. That's huge. You know, games when Russell is, is standing in the pocket and being able to deliver, he's a damn good quarterback. Maybe, you know, the best player in the league, MVP level player sometimes. So, um, I would really love to see that. Um, and, you know, an interesting thought exercise and credit somebody who's in the, in the chat around this, but um, if cable really is as bad as has been kind of depicted here and in other places, do you have any curiosity of, of whether Daryl Bevel would be different and better as an OC if Tom Cable was gone and he had a better offensive line coach in his place? And maybe someone who wasn't having to, you know, share split duties because Cable's the run coordinator and is the assistant head coach. He technically outranks Daryl Bevel. You know, I don't know that we'll even get a chance to see that because I expect Bevel to be gone. But um, and I'm happy about that personally. But uh, that's a pretty bold statement. You expect him to be gone? I do expect him to be gone. I, I think that I think both for his sake and for the team's sake, it's time. I think that that he's had enough kicks at the can with this group um, to figure something out. And I think there's been people that have clearly gotten more out of less than Daryl Bevel's been able to. And so, um, you know, I think that they need to, to get a fresh set of eyes, someone who can think a little bit more 
um, in a way that'll optimize what Russell Wilson can do. And, you know, see if that catches, see if that's a more consistent offense than what we've seen so far. Um, I think my biggest issue with Daryl Bevel has just been that besides red zone play calling, which I think he's been horrible in over his whole career, not just from the Super Bowl, but uh, I, I don't think he's ever been able to consistently put out an offense that um, does that succeeds on, on a regular basis. I think it's, it's way too up and down. So um, I know Doug Baldwin does not agree with that, but that that's my point of view. How has Daryl Bevel had too many kicks at the can and Cable hasn't? How, well, how can you criticize the offense that Bevel has put out there when he's consistently dealt with a Cable line? I mean, it's the only thing that is saving me from or keeping me from calling for Bevel as vigorously as I'm calling for Cable's job. Because there's some bad stuff on the tape, but like Bevel has been handicapped the same way that everyone else on this offense has been handicapped by Tom Cable. Yeah, well, I mean, to be clear, I, I've said that I'm supportive of the moving on from Tom Cable. All I've been pushing on here is this concept that he's added no value and that he's done nothing good. I, I think that that's, I think that's just convenient, um, you know, recency bias and, um, and and focusing on the negative. Um, so Daryl Bevel, yeah, I mean, I think to me the same applies to him as applies to Tom Cable. Um, and uh, from a play calling standpoint and from an actual architecting of the offense standpoint, I put more of that on Daryl Bevel's shoulders and um, he just hasn't been able to, to get that going. And look, Russell Wilson's the highest paid player on the team, if you can't figure out a way to optimize his value in the offense, then it's time for somebody else to come in and give it a shot. Um, and I, the other thing I'd add there is I think we've seen a lot more examples of offensive coordinator changes making a, a, a significant difference in how an offense performs than offensive line coaches. I know everyone. But this is a this is a unique situation, though. Cable's assistant, like you said, Cable outranks Bevel. Cable is the the run game coordinator. Like he is not just an offensive line coach. Agreed. Agreed. I, I do think it's a unique situation, but we've already moved on from, from Tom Cable and, and now we're <laughs> moving on from, from Daryl Bevel. Um, and it sounds like we will move on from, from Tater Smith. Um, at least if we were in charge, uh, is anyone wanting to move on from Pete Carroll? It doesn't sound like that's going to happen, but I'm curious if anyone would was hoping that he would retire. Hoping that he would retire? No. Um, I think the people, including myself, were being critical of Pete because of his loyal blind spots to a fault. I think at some point, <laughs> I mean, it's bold to say, and I know we've had some horrible coaches in the history of the Seahawks, but I mean – in my opinion, and maybe Nathan's opinion too, Tom Cable is sabotaging this team, absolutely sabotaging them, and changes have to be made. And and if and and it's Pete Carroll's responsibility to absolutely ensure that his assistant coaches are putting players in positions to succeed, that they're maximizing their value, that they're maximizing their talent, that they're doing that they're doing their job well. And I I don't think Tom Cable's doing his job super well, and I I think Pete's responsible for that. I really do. Any, uh, any of you guys, Jeff or Nathan, you feel differently or, or any you wanted to see Pete Carroll retire? I mean, I didn't want to see him go necessarily, but 
you know, get back to me in a week or two and we'll see what changes have been made on the staff and I might have a different answer. Um, he came out and doubled down really hard today in his interview with Brock and Salk about needing to be balanced and needing to run. And that's not how you win football games. And so that's concerning. And if he keeps cable, uh, I, I mean, that's just completely negligent at this point and the buck has to stop somewhere. How about you, Jeff? No, I'm still ready to see Pete, especially at the point that if we if they were still going to be like a veteran-heavy defense, I would get to the point where I'm starting to wonder if the whole thing's getting a little stale because the team is kind of – you know in Rocky Three where like Rocky loses his edge and like he's just kind of – it's kind of a corny comparison. But the Seahawks are kind of – I know Brian mentioned that when he saw that Bills video the other day. They just The team doesn't have that fire they had a couple of years ago where they were just hungrier than everyone else. Maybe that was because they were all on rookie contracts and they had this edge about them, but they just – they don't have that anymore. and. That's why I think Nathan and Evan both mentioned the excitement of building a new defense, right? That you're going to get young, hungry, cheap players. And if Pete couldn't get the messaging to those guys and they're rolling their eyes at his messaging, as Sherman might have indicated last year, then I start to wonder. So I think the timing is good for him. But I also didn't, I didn't want to see him escape when the team was at its lowest point. I thought that would have been a kind of a shitty move. Yeah, agreed. I, I, I was – I was pretty concerned that might happen and not just from the, the team's sake, but just for his legacy's sake. I mean, to have left USC when he left and then if he were to leave now with the Seahawks, that would that would send a pretty clear message about who he is versus what he says he is. Um, you know, win and then leave instead of win forever. Um, so uh, I want to give an opportunity. We're going to talk about a, a number of other things. Hopefully you guys can stay on a little longer than an hour tonight because we got a lot to talk about, but um, we got some some uh, blogger patrons on. I'm going to let Ryan Cleveland join and ask a question. So, Ryan, I'm going to add you to the broadcast. If unmute, uh, what's your question for the fellows? Yeah, uh, my question is, uh, what's the most uh, surprising or unpopular move that you would like to see uh, for a roster change next year? You want to start with that one, uh, Jeff? Unpopular move. Ooh. I got one. I already know mine. I think it's time for KJ to start moving on. I know. I know. I know. I know. And he was out of the game in the Rams game and they got destroyed and all that. But that's because Terrence Garvin is really bad against the run. Um, He's slow. He doesn't create many turnovers. Um, And he's a linebacker. It's not an incredibly valuable spot. And they've invested money there. I think if you're looking for them to get younger, get faster, get more aggressive, get cheaper i think kj is a spot that they could do it all right i'll jump in now i do not want them to sign paul richardson or sheldon richardson i don't know how unpopular that is but i just don't think any of them warrant the amount of money they're going to get in free agency and so it's a pretty shitty free agent class i was digging into the the numbers save the ops cab numbers and really the whole free agent class there's not much out there so those guys are going to command a lot given what the seahawks are i, I don't think they can bring any back at the number they're going to command yeah, that's a really good one. Uh, Jeff kind of stole mine, honestly. I was going to say let Jeff, or let Paul Richardson walk. Um, I've wavered, like, <laughs> every other day I've, like, changed my mind on Paul Richardson. <laughs> like, one day I'm like, sign him! Next day it's like, screw this guy. He's too expensive, too many injuries in four years. But, uh, man, I'm, I know he's played a lot in, like, the past two seasons. He's missed, like, only one game. Yeah. <sighs> 
but Paul Richardson makes me nervous with those two torn ACLs. And I don't think that's irrational to feel nervous about those two torn ACLs. I mean, it all comes down to what he wants. Um, Joel Corey, you know, former NFL agent was like, he, you know, he's going to want more than his old college or high school buddy. Um, I forget who it was, maybe Robert Woods or yeah, it was Woods. Yeah. Who, who got like seven mil a year. So if we're talking that ballpark, like seven, eight mil a year, maybe nine mil for P. Rich. I think it's a more, a more reasonable discussion. But these Devontae Adams extensions, this soon-to-be Landry extensions, OBJ, Mike Evans eventually, I'm a little worried about his asking price. And if it's up there like at 11, 12, 13, get me away from that. I, I, I don't think he's worth that to me. So – I mean, that's a big difference. It could, it could be an eight mil or a 13 mil. That's five mil of cap space and potential, you know, difference in asking price. So we'll, we'll see what he asked for with his camp, but I think generally maybe let Paul Richardson walk. Yeah. Mine is, um, I think you definitely have to re-sign Eddie Lacy and give him the start. <laughs> he just needs a couple more kicks at the can. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. He sign Blair Walsh too. He just needs people to sit down with Eddie Lacy and talk to him. Eddie Lacy would figure it all out and magically become a Hall of Fame running back. No, I, Ryan, I, I think that uh, the guys hit a lot of good ones. Uh, I actually agree with all of them. I agree with mm-hmm. – I'm not 100% on the KJ move. To me, that's not a, like a let go. That's a definitely see what his trade value is. I think replacing linebackers is something that the team's proven it can do, and um, linebackers can make impact – early in their career first year. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's a good one. I think, you know, I could add a lot to that list. Definitely have come out strong. I don't think that John Ryan should be back and I'd be really disappointed if he is. Um, I think that Jimmy Graham absolutely should go. I don't think there'll be a choice in the matter. I've said that pretty consistently. I don't think he wants to be here. I think he played like he didn't want to be here all year. Um, and, uh, I won't be sad to see him go. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, the other one that, that I think is more controversial, uh, it's probably less important, but I really don't want to see them sign Bradley McDougal. Um, I believe they need to get more out of that position than Bradley McDougal will give them. I'm not interested in seeing um, good enough starters in roles right now. This team is not close enough to where they're just filling a gap that, that can cover something. They're trying to rebuild a champion. So you need to find guys that can be above average, Pro Bowl level potential starters. I actually think people have forgotten about Delano Hill. Um, and uh, he's had his first year. I think, you know, Nathan brought up some things he saw in preseason. I saw a lot of the same things. I think that that guy could be a legitimate starting safety and in the box safety. And he could be a really good cover um, strong safety as well. So I'd like to see them give Delano Hill a chance and not spend money on someone like Bradley McDougal. So that would be that would be another one I'd throw out there. Those are all moves, though, where we're talking about like letting guys go or not bringing somebody back. I think a real surprise this offseason would be going and spending. Oh. And, and is there – does anyone have a – anywhere they want them to go spend? It's tight. I mean, that's why it's such a surprise, right, is they're old. they got to let guys go. they got to free up cap space. Does anyone really want them to go get anything? I would like them to go get a tight end. Um, I'd like them to do that in free agency. And um, I will tell you um, who in a second. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I was saying I was I was digging into the free agent class today and kind of their cap situation. They actually are in a better cap spot than most Pegmans do, especially with the guys they're going to walk away from. That seemed pretty obvious now. There's only a couple strengths of free agency. One of them is tight end. There's a couple mid-range players that they can get. The other strength, which makes the Paul Richardson decision iffy, is wide receiver. It's from that 2014 draft. A lot of those guys are free agents now. So it's like Dante Moncrief, Jarvis Landry, Sammy Watkins, Allen Robinson, who's a guy that's kind of fallen off the radar, Marquise Lee, they're all out there. And the draft class actually is pretty good at receiver too. So if you lose Richardson, you can get a comparable guy at a lower price. That might be a place you want to spend. But there's not much out there in terms of free agency, which kind of sets up nicely with how Seattle's set up. Do not spend money on wide receivers. Please do not do that. Um, you know, the Seahawks need to bring up receivers in their system. I think that Amaro Darbo, as much as I've been negative about him and haven't seen much from him, the guy's a really great athlete and has the potential to be a good blocker, which, by the way, is pretty damn important in this in this system um, and part of what makes, you know, running backs work. Um, where I'd like to see them spend is, uh, so Anthony Fasano um, is a free agent. He's 33 years old. I would love to see Anthony Fasano added. He's a good pass blocker. He's a good run blocker. I'd like to see that. That's something that they explore. Um, there's other guys that are out there are interesting. Tyler Eifert's going to be out there. Austin Safarian Jenkins, to me, is a really interesting name. 25 years old. Um, I don't know what kind of money he will command, but you know he is a quality receiving tight end. Um, you know I don't know if coming home would be good or bad for him. I even think guys like Clay Harbor are interesting players. As a guy I've talked about in the past, again, a solid blocking player. Um, you know, he's 30 years old. These are guys that should cost not a lot, um, but but I'd like to see them potentially go off uh, and and get someone like that. And yes, Nathan, it's because I think that running is important. <laughs> I right. saw your smirk. Don't think it's I didn't right. that. It's okay that you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could go. We could go back into that conversation. Likely, we have all off season to have a really um, enlightened conversation about that. But one day when we're holding another Super Bowl trophy, you know, a fake one in the back of your, you know, your office, um, and they did it on the backs of a strong running game, balance of the passing game, then we can we can drink beers about it. But. Um, that's a great question, Ryan. Thank you. Um, and Terry, I know you're on as well. If you have a question, um, uh, looks like you do. I'm going to let you jump in here. If you unmute yourself, go ahead, Terry, and, and uh, ask your question. I'll give you one second to do that. Oh, he said. Oh, you've got no mic. All right. So, so Terry asks, what about Michael Bennett? Stay or go? Um, Jeff, let's start with you. Did we lose you, Jeff? No, no I'm still here. Uh, Michael, um, Bennett. I thought, Michael Bennett, stay or go? I thought it was very telling Pete Carroll when he went through all his defensive linemen today didn't mention Michael Bennett. I think that was everything you need to say, and based on what he said yesterday, despite what we might say, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Evan? Yeah. So I, we looked at the football outsider stats like a few days ago. Guga31BB on Twitter.com. He's a pretty good follow. Um, sent, sent me some pressure stats, and he, he's like having – by pressures-wise, like a great season. But um, obviously he's been playing on an, an injury this season too, like planter or something, something. Um, 
like part of me wants this team to get younger. I would offer him in a trade and just see what you can get for him. If it's reasonable, like a good return, I'd consider it. Offloading some salary, getting younger. Not, not that's not really saying anything about his talent. Like, I I want this team to get younger. I want this team to get more competitive. I want them to get hungrier, and I want them to cost less. <laughs> I I. I I don't know if Michael Bennett, like, for example, if you keep Michael Bennett on in 2018, I don't think he's here in 2019. I, I, I don't think you, I don't think he's going to last two to three years. So like maybe, maybe you try and get trade value out of him, you know, in his one, in one of his last years. Um, to me, it's just an effort towards getting younger, hungrier, faster, and cheaper. What do they say by cutting him? Uh, well, he, he said he didn't know if he'd be back next season. Well, they'd have to, would they have to? They'd have to cut him, right? Or is he free agent now? No, they'd have to cut him or trade him. So He's what would they? What, we're, talk, we're talking trade, right? But if if they cut him or they traded him, what would they save him cap wise? Well, so okay, so I guess cutting him or trading him would be very similar. We're saving only like two mil in cap space. It's like a, it's like a seven mil dead money cap yeah. money hit. But I mean, it, it it'd be an effort to open up like twenty nineteen space. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about getting younger on defense and stuff, there's a couple guys that are interesting, right? Sherm's one. Bennett's one that's kind of interesting for me, too, especially since, you know, with Sherm, you save a ton of money, like $13 million or something, right? Um, Bennett, not so much. And there's a lot of, you know, if you look at his tackles for loss, if you look at his pressures, you know, he had a good year. He had eight and a half sacks. That's more than he had in 2014. That's as many as he had in, in 2013. I mean, it, it's tied for the second most in his career. Um, but then. You know, you see, you know, on Sunday, he's getting those Red Bryant pressures where uh, he's forcing a quarterback to move, but it's one of those where the quarterback's just kind of jogging and he's got to keep jogging because he'll get caught if he stops. But as long as he keeps jogging, you know, then it's not going to get him. Um, and so that was tough. So I, I don't know. I think, I think while they do need to get younger and I do want to see them have some turnover. And I think Bennett's definitely a candidate for that. Um, you still have Russell Wilson, you still have pieces, you still expect to make the playoffs next year. Right. I mean, I don't think anyone here thinks that this team shouldn't be contending for the playoffs next year. And if you're still doing that, then I think you should at least have a plan for the roster spot and the $2 million. If you do move on from him. Um, but you know, it'll be one of those where I think I'll, I'll probably understand either way what they do. Yeah, the thing with Bennett, I think I'm more with you on this one, Nathan, where I just have trouble seeing them get enough value. Either I don't think they'll get any real value in a trade. And uh, what are they going to replace him with for two million bucks? Like, I don't know. I have a trouble seeing that now. I would like to see them absolutely add to the defensive line, and I've been saying that for a while. And I guess Malik McDowell was was part of that plan that, that went haywire, and Sheldon Richardson was probably also part of that plan. Man, I'd be I'd be so disappointed if they signed Sheldon Richardson. I really would be, and and maybe they'd prove me it prove me wrong. Maybe if by letting Bennett go, Sheldon Richardson could play a different position and create more pressure and be more of a dynamic player than he was this year. But there was nothing that I saw this year that made me want to spend fifteen million on that guy. So I have a question for you: What number would you feel comfortable at? Honestly, for what I saw this year, almost, you know, there's not a, there's not a number. I, I like, 
I think he's he's going to cost. I mean, there's no way he's going to cost you know six million dollars a year or something like that. It's just it's impossible. And I mean, the, the cheapest I could possibly imagine, which seems insane, would be like eight million for a one year deal or something like that. Yeah, that's what Luke Jokel got. Is he really going to Sheldon Richardson, who's 26, going to get that? I don't think so. But let's just say that for a second. I still don't want to spend eight million on him right now. Like I, I think really interesting though is a ton of Jets like like respected jets, like bloggers, contributors, all those types of people are, are like a hard pass on resigning or on resigning Sheldon, bring him back to New York. They are absolutely against spending any type of money on him. They think he's a long-term character risk. Like they, like new jets fans, they know a lot more about Sheldon than we do. And they are hard passing on Sheldon. That, that makes me worry a little. I mean, we don't put too much stock in fan, you know, blog opinions, but I mean, kind of worries me what they, what, what their reaction to this whole, you know, impending free agency has been. I mean, I, I guess I just, I agree with, with Nathan that Bennett was productive. If, if he, he definitely, I, I think that he's absolutely lost a step. I don't think he's as explosive or as disruptive as he's been in the past. I don't think he's as much of a handful to where teams are like unable to deal with him. Um, I don't think if he was in the Super Bowl again, that Bill Belichick was like, 72 is the only one we have to worry about like he did when they played him before. Um, but I still think he could absolutely be a, a great role playing um, pass rusher. And it's just not easy to find pass rush. So um, uh, that's, that's one that I question a little bit. Maybe he doesn't want to be here. I don't know, but we'll, we'll see about that. I think Deion Jordan's a guy that, that they it sounds like they want to bring back. And I think that would be a good one to bring back. I'm not nearly as sold on him as some, like savior that some folks are. I saw good things from him. I didn't see like, oh yeah, he's the next Cliff Averill. Like I, I don't, <laughs> I don't see that yet. Um, I think they absolutely need young pass rushers, um, and um, that's something they're going to have to find. I mean, one of the questions people had today was around uh, Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman changing gears for a second. Like, um, do you guys think that? Both of those guys are here next year, one of them, or neither. Um, I was going to talk. I was going to mention this, Brian. We yeah. have an uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversation about Richard Sherman, and Seahawks Twitter isn't doing it. Bloggers, contributors aren't doing it. We save a lot of money if we cut Richard Sherman, and it's like eleven point three mil or something. It's like two million dead money from like his leftover signing bonus proration. That's a lot of cash. For a you know, going to be thirty year old corner coming off two or a big injury and then surgery on the other leg, that's no joke. And corners are known to hit a wall at thirty. And and Sherm, you know, I love you. You follow me, all that stuff. But I mean, we got to talk about the business side of this. And it saves a lot of cash if we cut him. But what do you spend it on? I mean, that's a great question. That's a great question. I'm. I'm. I think maybe I should have. I think my unpopular move that I'd like to see the CX spend on is maybe Sheldon Richardson. Like, I, I don't think there's, I think most people are kind of along the same lines as Brian and not really interested in bringing him back. I think he showed why people were excited about him coming here, even if he did it incredibly inconsistently and um, was used maybe a little differently, although I think he had path rush attempts or uh, opportunities and just didn't take advantage of it a lot of times. I think there were times where you would see that flash and you can see the talent. Um, and if you're talking about 
transitioning and you're talking about who can be good in a couple of years. I mean, Sheldon is young enough that he can be good in a couple of years. And if you're talking about how this team can still be good now with Russ and, you know, trying to make the playoffs next year, I think Sheldon's a guy that does make sense to keep. And if that's what you want to do with the Sherman money, that's probably fine by me. Um, but, you know, I think while we need to focus on the next great Seahawks team, we need to be aware that the team can be good still now, even if it's not necessarily Super Bowl good. And so if you cut Sherm, what are you cutting him for? I think people greatly underestimate the impact of Richard Sherman on that defense. And I'm not just talking about on the field. Um, I think Richard Sherman might be your best secondary coach. I've seen him time and again work with young players before and after practice on the technique, um, on breaking down film, um, and he's willing. That's not common. <laughs> I see some of the guys do that. Cliff Averill is another guy that did that a lot. I saw him working with a lot of people, young players on pass rush um, moves and, and things of that nature, and he did it with different guys every year. Um, so – I think people are too quick to move on from Sherm. Um, I, I also think that he has a burning passion to win. Um, and every in indicator I have is that he still, you know, wants to be part of what they're doing here, which I think is pretty important. It's not as clear with Earl if that's the case. And look, when I ran numbers back in 2011, when, you know, Sherm first joined, before and after he entered the lineup, in terms of what passer rating looked like for uh, opposing quarterbacks. And when I ran the numbers this year, pretty damn similar. Like when that guy leaves, passer ratings for opponent qu opposing quarterbacks skyrocket, skyrocket. And yes, Cam Chancellor has gone too, but Sherm is different. Sherm has way more impact on coverage. And yes, Byron Maxwell did fine. I, I, you know, I've been supportive of him as a, at least he creates turnovers. At least he has some value, which Jeremy Lane for me has zero. Um, but if you think you're going to get by with Shaq Griffin and Byron Maxwell, um, you know, and I don't think Justin Coleman, as much as I love him, Justin Coleman's not an outside corner. He's a, he's a perfect nickel corner. Leave him there. He's great. I think if you keep Sherman, you're in really good shape. Um, so, uh, so I guess the, my question to you is that how long do you think Sherman can maintain his current production? Um, well, I mean, look, so what did I say last year about the draft? What were the, what, what did it, what was the number one thing I said last year about the draft? One of the two corners. I wanted two corners within their first three picks. And, and the reason being was that was a cornerback rich draft. You could see that Sherman was going to have a shelf life. You could see that, um, they already had a whole opposite him. Deshaun was hurt. Right. And so I thought that was an opportunity to really address what was going to be a transition they needed to go through. They got one, which is better than none, and he's going to be part of it, right? They hit. Shaq Griffin could be a Pro Bowl level corner, right? Um, so I do think that Sherman is it has a limit, but I think he could absolutely be a starting cornerback for at least the next two years. Um, and I don't think you could get much in trade value right now. Um, I think he's. I think he's a little bit more scheme specific than than some of the other corners out there, um, and he would hate to hear that. He would, he would kill me for that. But but yeah, so I, I think that I'm less comfortable moving on from him. I think you're going to see a huge drop off in the defense if you do that. I don't think it's it's as easy to replace. I feel the same way about Earl. 
I mean, um, the only thing that makes me willing to even have that conversation about Earl Thomas is one, that guy would absolutely net some trade value. I don't care what his contract situation is. He is one of the best players in the NFL. Um, two, I'm just not convinced for sure that Earl is going to be the guy that sticks with this team when all his buddies are gone and the defense is going through a rebuild. I just don't know if I, I see that in him. So if you're not going to get the Earl Thomas we've seen and he can bring value and create cap room, you know, then, then that is something at least you have to talk about, but man, that sucks because he is the linchpin of that defense. Yeah. The thing about Sherm is it's not, too relevant how much longer he can play for because he's only got one year left on his deal. Unless we're talking about extending him, I don't know if I see that coming. I think you maybe just go at the one year and you take the comp pick where you get and hopefully Griffin and another guy are ready to play at that point. But yeah, the Earl thing is a really tricky scenario. I think that's the biggest question of the offseason and really there's room to keep both Sherman and Earl. I dug into the numbers today. That would eliminate Sheldon Richardson. If you want Sheldon Richardson back, you probably got to get rid of one of those two guys. I, I can't imagine this defense without Earl Thomas. Uh, I, I don't care really what you can get back. Like whatever you get back, you're just you're going to have to hope can fill the void that you lost with Earl. And maybe you know he decides to walk after a year, but he's going to have to turn down a lot of money. Um, to do that. Hearing is that you're not super comfortable with our all-star backup, Tedrick Thompson. You know, uh, no, actually, <laughs> I know he played a bunch this year, and there were some intriguing qualities. We saw some really great stuff out of Tedrick Thompson this year. He recovered a fumble or two. Is that true? Did he I really? Definitely. Like one special team. Or was that actually in the regular season? So it was in the regular season. All right, all right. It was on. Well, uh, I think it was in the Jacksonville game. On so on. you're gonna have to, you know, fill the void of those turnovers that you lose if you. Uh, <laughs> whatever. I don't, no, yeah, no. You got to keep Tedrick or uh, Earl. Earl, get Tedrick out of here. Uh, you got to keep. Uh, you got to keep Earl. I, I just don't. I, yeah, you can get some shiny picks and all that, but like, I mean, you've got, you've got Earl. Keep Earl. Yeah, so so you so Nathan, let's get let's make this a little more clear cut because I got a little wishy washy here. So Nathan, you are keep Earl. Mm -hmm. You are what with Sherm? It just depends on what you're going to spend the money on. If you want Sheldon back and and you want or you have something that you're going to, you better have something to spend eleven million dollars on. Because I, I do think Sherm can contribute now, and I do think he probably does leave the year after this. But like, don't just cut him to say Paul on 11 million bucks, right? I mean, you need to have a purpose for that money. So I, I think Eileen, don't cut him. Okay. Jeff? I say you keep Earl and Sherman for this year, and you you, want, you don't spend the money on Sheldon Richardson. That's right. Evan? I'd say definitely keep Earl, and I lean towards keeping Sherman, but I'm not sure. I don't think you extend Sherman after, after, uh, after 2018. Yeah, I, I think I'm I'm with Jeff on this. I think you keep both. Um, and and uh, man, it's a big roll of the dice with Earl because I think 
I don't know if you can extend him. I don't know. I don't know if he'll sign here. Um, and you're basically if Earl Thomas leaves and you get a third round comp pick the you know a following year after. You can franchise him. You could. You could. They actually set up really well for 2019. This is getting ahead of the case. They do not have a lot of money on the books, and they there there are a lot of players out there. They're not going to have money problems after this year. Well, yeah, it's an interesting point. Franchise tagging is always interesting. Um, you know, <laughs> Earl's you got a guy that could just retire. I mean, <laughs> if he doesn't want to play, he will not play. Um, that's just who he is. So, um, I got to I got to switch to to another topic because a lot of people are curious about this, and and we got to get your guys' take. Can you, you guys stick on for a little while longer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm good for a while. All right, good. So, um, Jermaine Fetty, you know, other than Tom Cable, probably the most popular guy in Seattle. Um, he's our right tackle right now. And, you know, there, there's a lot of conversation about, well, what do you do with the offensive line? And, and I, got, I got a few questions for you guys specifically. One, you know, I'd like definitive answers, right? So, stay or go, Luke Jokel. Anyone have him staying? Absolutely no. No. Okay. Everybody's agreed Luke Jogel should not be uh, signed. Now, um, Jermaine Effetti, one, do you think he should be one of your five starters? Absolutely not. Say more. Just horrible this year. The amount of penalties that man committed on a daily basis. Oh, my God. Gosh, he single-handedly ruined drives. He was a problem. Let George Fant battle it out at right tackle in 2018 with him. Keep Dwayne Brown at left tackle, obviously. Let George see what George can do at right tackle. I'm not sold on that Fetty at all. I, I, I'm so he is only starting at right tackle because of his draft stock. It is a joke. He, he is not good. He's not good. He doesn't deserve the spot just because he was drafted in the first round. He needs to compete for that spot. Yeah, I'm the same way. Uh, he needs to compete for the spot. I think Fant's the guy that, that should uh, – another guy, at least, that should be given a shot of that right tackle spot. And then, you know, hopefully they're drafted into or, or they find somebody else that they can get in the rotation to because Afedi is up and down, and his ups look pretty good. His downs are just awful. Um, you have no idea what you're getting with Fant coming back. He should be good. I mean, most people recover pretty well from an ACL, but you don't know. And, you know, you're switching to the other side of the line. So you probably need even a third guy in there, whether that's Isaiah Battle or something like that. Isaiah Battle. Wow. We got to sign to a futures. I'm just saying, you're talking about like a third tackle here, effectively, <laughs> you know. But you got to have something interesting there that you can like squint at and think maybe. He's had the kiss of death, though, Nathan, because Tom Cable likes what he saw from Isaiah Battle. Well, then they should, I mean, in this. <laughs> scenario i'm just telling you in your hypothetical cable has been fired yeah it doesn't matter until cable is fired if that's not the hypothetical so yeah i I just imagine the offensive line coach walking into this room and being like what like what do you (laughs) you want me to do something with these guys it's Uh, so terrible you have to do something with dwayne brown and Ethan posick and justin britt it must be awful for him and whatever second round pick they end up spending on the offensive lineman oh what a terrible job. What a terrible group to inherit. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, anybody else? So, so Nathan, you you say you would like a Fetty to not be a starter. That's what I, I want him to have to earn it. I don't want to even hand it to him. Okay. All right. And, and Jeff, where are you on a Fetty? Do you expect him? Do you expect him to be a starter? Do you want him to be a starter? I expect him to be a starter. I do not want him to be a starter. And if he is, I'd rather see him maybe at right guard. Yeah. And he, he wasn't good at that either, but the things that you mentioned earlier on the edge in terms of the slow feed and the, the pass protection issues, he's just terrible. And the hardest thing with a Fetty, it's going to be a tough job, but the things he does poorly are the, almost the hardest things to teach the mental errors, the penalties, the discipline mistakes. That's a hard thing to teach. And I don't know. I, I, I want to see him battle for a spot, but I, I'm, I'm fearful that he's just going to get handed a right spot, the right tackle spot. Again, they think he's going to take that. First to second year jump. That's that's my instinct, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I think what it, you see with the Fetty is, I mean, <laughs> I was so disappointed when they made that pick um, for a variety of reasons. But uh, what I try to do is then see, look for what they're seeing and what they could possibly hope he could be becomes, and he's he's got the body of an NFL lineman. I mean, the guy, if you've seen him in person, he is just a massive human being. Um, in a lot of ways, he actually has a similar build to Russell Okung. Um, you know, if you see them, like, for at one point, I think he was even wearing 76 and, or something like that and looked, anyway. So he's got that kind of build. And the hope is, God, this guy could drive people off the ball. He could be someone who actually moves the pile. and. There's been times that I've seen that, um, but definitely not consistently. And I'm really with Nathan on the fact that I want him to battle for that position. I don't want them to give him that position. I think he has to earn it, and I don't think he's had to earn it yet. And uh, I personally, like, I really like the idea of George Fan on the right side. I think he struggled with speed rushers on the left side. The right tackle gets help from the tight end. The right tackle doesn't necessarily always face the the fastest speed rushers. A lot of times you're getting more strength um, rushers. And, and Fant actually, I think he anchors better than a Fetty does in general in, in pass protection. So um, I think Fant would be an interesting guy to put over there on right on the right side. Um, and then uh, I mean. I'd also be interested in considering having a Fetty battle inside a guard. You know, I, I, I think that he, he's, to me, he's built like a guard. I, I don't think he's built like a tackle. Um, and I'd like to see him try to, to push around there. Ethan Posick, we talked about, look, Ethan Posick is not a finished product. Um, you know, Nathan, you said yourself, you don't believe that, that players build functional strength in the NFL. They either have it or they don't. And, Postic has to build it because he doesn't. He's not a great run blocker right now. He just isn't. Um, he gets pushed around, and he made quite a you know his share of mistakes um, in, in pass protection as well. So I don't ex I don't expect or want him to be given the job either. I think Jordan Roos is another guy that should be interesting to watch. You know what he can do. But look, there's a lot of guys in there that are cable products. These like Roos. Um, Fetty, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are, are more run blockers than they are pass blockers. And I don't know that you can just snap your fingers with a new line coach and all of a sudden Fetty gets quicker feet. Like, I, I don't know if I see that happening. Um, but what I'd ask is, what are you guys, 
what do you guys want to see? I mean, I mean, let me ask it this way. How would you feel if the Seahawks spent a first or second day pick on an offensive lineman in the draft? Pretty good. I mean, if if you aren't sold on Effetti as your right tackle and uh, you're looking at losing uh, Jokul, I mean, you have a spot there that a guy can play. Um, it's an important position. Yeah, go for it. I know that they've spent there a lot now, um, but there's no reason not to keep putting stuff there if you've got someone that makes sense. Nathan, do you trust them? to effectively utilize those high draft picks on offensive linemen? No, I mean, again, nothing matters until they fire Tom Cable. because <laughs> That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> it's, I, I know, I know. And, you know, look, well, I mean, I the you. question I about, yeah. And the questions about Schneider are still fair. Um, totally are. But, uh, so, I mean, I guess is offensive linemen or the, like the number one thing I want to see them target? I mean, maybe not, but... Uh, just because they're bad at it doesn't mean that you can just like neglect it and not like sign or draft offensive linemen. So sure. Take another kick at the can. What is there a specific position you'd be looking for? Tackle guard. I think you always try to tackle. You can always move guys inside. Guys, always, guys can always go inside. It's much tougher to, for them to move outside. So I, I personally, I, I would be, I think I'd be disturbed if they if they spend an early pick on an alignment um, and, and not because I don't think that they could use one, but because they don't have a lot of early picks. And I feel like they've got real needs elsewhere that they've got to address and, and could potentially find people quicker. Now, this is supposed to be a decent draft for linemen. So so maybe you do it, but maybe that means that you, you push pushes decent linemen farther back in the draft and you can take someone later. I don't know. Um, you know, Jeff, Evan, you know, we've seen a lot of bad lineman picks or picks that have been pretty disappointing there. You know, how would you guys feel if they, if they spent an early pick? What is that first round pick was an offensive lineman? For me personally, it's, it's just kind of what you said, Brian, like they don't have many picks. They don't have any picks in the second, third, and I don't know about the fourth round. Um, so they, if they don't trade back that first round pick better be a hit. It's got to be a hit or a good part of the draft might be sabotaged unless you're trading away players for picks. But I, I'd be disappointed to see offensive linemen and offensive linemen picked in the first round. I really would. The only, I think the position I'd really, really hope for if they choose and stick and pick at 18, I'd love to see a defensive back. I want to see that. I want to see either, either a safety or a corner. I haven't, I haven't studied this draft too much, but I, I think that's an area where I really want to see dominance again, just because we're seeing the turn, turning of the tide with, you know, Cam on his way out, Sherm having shelf life and, and you know, kind of reestablishing that cornerback group. So I, I, I prefer a DB, but, you know, what do you think? What do you think, Jeff? I start digging into the draft a little bit, and there's one, there's only one scenario where I'd be okay. There's a stud guard from Notre Dame that, like a Zach Martin type of guy. I don't think he's falling at 18. I don't think there's any chance of it. I think he's so good that I don't think Tom Cable can screw him up. <laughs> but, but otherwise, I'd be absolutely terrified. And I'd be upset. I think they just – they got to start getting young defensive players, and they started they – got, 
I don't know if blue chip is the best thing to expect because they're probably going to have to move down to acquire other picks. But they got to start getting young, hungry, controllable defensive guys. And they really started with this draft. Griffin's a good player. Naz Jones is a good player. They got Jaron Reed, Frank Clark. Those are some good building blocks, but they need more. And I think, as we said before, their, their, built, their bread and butter has been nailing defensive players. And I think in this draft, they need more, especially with the guys that are going to start losing in the next couple of years. Evan mentioned defensive back. I would love a safety if that was available. I don't know if it will be. A corner would be great. Front seven and linebackers, another one you can get later on, probably if you're going to look at replacing maybe KJ Wright in the next couple of years. Defensive line, if you're moving away from April and Bennett and Richardson, that's an area to me where I would like to see them. So for me, I want to see defense. Yeah, I'm going to kind of go, I'm going to kind of go back on what I just said. I mean, thinking about it, the thing that I want about this to change the most about the Seahawks team is I, I want them to get back to being the toughest team in the NFL, like a team that just intimidates the hell out of whoever they play. And so honestly, I want the guy that's going to help them accomplish that most. And if, if what falls to them in the first round even is a badass lineman that just mauls people, great, <clears throat> great. I mean, hopefully they, they have the wherewithal to pick that person and not some you know, ridiculous project that takes three years to develop. Um, if it's a defensive lineman, um, if it's a linebacker, uh, you know, if it's a safety, whatever it is, I mean, I think Davis has been pushing a, a safety, uh, was it Derwin Jones, something like that? Or um, yeah, it's supposed to be, you know, uh, in the box safety. I don't know, someone who's going to establish that, reestablish that identity because look, Guys, as great as Bobby Wagner was this year, there, were, there just were the, the massive, like, game-changing or at least, like, moment-in-time-stopping plays, hits. They just were not there this year. It didn't feel like the Seahawks pushed anybody around. There were games when that defensive line – I was so excited to see that defensive line with Sheldon and Bennett and when Averill was there and Frank Clark – and, you know, Naz Jones, and they had this long list. And then DeAndre, like, they had all these guys, and they never dominated. Like, they just didn't. And we certainly didn't do that on the offensive side of the ball. So wherever that guy is, the toughest, baddest ass, that's who I want them to get, um, you know, in, in the first round. You know who would have been pretty good last year? Reuben Foster, huh? Yeah, he does everything you can say that. that. That's my least popular, one of my least popular positions. <laughs> but I, I, I don't change my mind about it even a little bit. Well, I was, I don't know if you guys saw any of the semifinals last night. There was a linebacker on Georgia. I think he's like a top twenty type of guy. Man, he would be nice on the Seahawks. Is that Roquan? Yes, that's the guy. Something right? Roquan Miller, something like that. God, that, was, that game was insane. Um, and not just because it was a great game, but because the amount of talent running on that field, <laughs> I mean, it was insane. Like the SEC is just a different level of play. Everyone knows that, but you know, watching the Huskies play Penn state, for example, and then watching that game, it's like Huskies aren't just a few players away from competing with teams like that. They're just not. And, and, but it's a great example of like, if you were the biggest, toughest team, doesn't matter what the other team has going for it. Like you're going to have a hard time winning a football game because it's a gladiator sport uh, ultimately. So um, yeah, I mean, I think <sighs> it's, 
as crazy as everyone thinks it is, I would have drafted Ruben Foster. Um, and uh, I would have created a pile at that position. And we would have been able to move on from someone like KJ Wright without any hesitation. Um, maybe, as crazy as it sounds, maybe you decide to keep KJ and you move Bobby because you have a guy now that is younger and could potentially be his own all pro in his day and cheaper um, and get a lot back for, for someone. I just don't, that's, that's what I look for in roster building is adding the best possible player and then figuring out how to, you know, accentuate them within your roster and um, flip guys over. Um, I, I think the best, one of the best examples of that is what the Patriots did in drafting Jacoby Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo in back-to-back -back years in the second and third round when they have the best player that's ever played the position. Um, so I, I just, I think people get too hung up on this idea that you have to like prioritize need more. And honestly, I think that's one of John Schneider's biggest flaws in the past few years is he's been open about saying that they have upped their priority of drafting for need and um, that that's been a higher percentage of the equation. I, I, th I think that that's part of the problem. I, I really do. I, I think before they were drafting some of the just fantastic players that they found and um, didn't really necessarily care what position they were going to be. So um, I, I see some 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 stern faces that, that may agree or disagree, but but since you didn't start talking, um, what have we not covered that you guys think um, needs to be said? Uh, how does this team become? You know, is it is it is there is there a plan that you have in your head that makes this team not just a playoff team next year? but a rising team that's headed back toward Super Bowl contention. Man, I don't know if they can make that jump in a year. I I, I mean, they could have an unbelievable 2012 draft. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how you can see them turning it and, and looking at them as a team on the rise next year. I mean, they can make the right moves and they can position themselves well and, and they can maybe add a guy or two that you can see being great, but um, to really turn it around and get like that 2012 feeling again, I don't know if they can do that. I don't think 2018 is the year that Tom Gable all of a sudden makes us a good offensive line. <laughs> it's uh I think it's deeper than players. I think I think we have some serious coaching issues, and unless those are unless some changes are made, I don't I don't see us being Super Bowl content, contenders in 2018. I, I really don't. We may make the playoffs, but there's some deep rooted issues that need to be addressed here. And you know, it's we're gonna we're just gonna continue with this getting getting Eddie Lacy running philosophy. And with some other running back who's not very good, it's just going to happen every single year. So I'm very frustrated. I, I, I think it's deeper than players. I think there's some coaching issues. I, I think if you look at this team at the end of the year, other than Russell Wilson, like what's their identity? That's the thing. They don't have an identity. Before they were ass kickers, they, they had more talent than you. They got in your face. You go from, that to, from what they were this year to that in one year, that's a whole lot to ask. So it starts at the top. John Schneider and Pete Carroll, they got to be better. John had a pretty good draft, but there's Malik McDowell, there's Blair Walsh, Eddie Lacy, Luke Jokel, maybe some of these Jamarcus trades. Webb. Jamarcus Yeah, I'm just talking 2017. <laughs> Bradley Sowell, like 
that's a lot of mistakes. Jermaine Ofetti, they got to get better at personnel. That's that's a big thing. Number two, the coaching. Banging your head against the wall with Eddie Lacy or trying to run the ball when you clearly can't. You got to play to your personality. You got to figure out who you are and become that. Because that when they won the Super Bowl and when they rose, they knew what they were, and they were better than everyone else at it. They beat San Francisco at their own game. Now they're kind of lost, and they got to figure out what they want to be, and they got to try to become that. Is there any team in the NFL that you guys see that is as good as the 2013 Seahawks or the you know 2012 49ers, even the 2013 49ers? No way. No, absolutely not. That Patriots team's all right. But, I mean, no. Yeah, I, I look back, and those teams were insanely intimidating. Like, I remember watching the 49ers go into Green Bay and just beat up Aaron Rodgers in his own field and call him Kaepernick running all over the place. Um, and that's part of why Dom Capers doesn't have a job anymore. Like Packers fans were so done with him after the 49ers destroyed them back to back years in the playoffs. Um, I, I just look at those teams and I don't think that's a realistic goal for the Seahawks to get back to being that kind of team. Uh, I think a lot of people are keep comparing. I, I talk on pe- people on Twitter about, yeah, the 2010, 2012 drafts. We got to get back to that. Guys, like, that doesn't happen. Like that will never happen again. Like we may have one draft that is half as good as one of those drafts. Like we will have hopefully another draft where we draft a hall of fame player or an all pro player like that happens. But you know, this idea that like Scott McLuhan, who I think we all have so much respect for as a talent evaluator, absolutely. He was part of what was right for some of that period of time. The idea that Scott McLuhan gets signed back and, and all of a sudden everything just goes back to perfect, I don't buy that either. Like, you know, it, it's, a lot of things have to fall the right way for you. And, and so, I don't know, I, I guess the reason I'm rambling about that is that's the team we know that won a Super Bowl. They were that talented. They were better than any team that I've seen really since. Um, and if that's what Pete and John are going to set out to do, um, they're certainly not one draft away or one off season away from turning this team into one of those teams. Like I, I don't see any way, but if I was to look at it and I'm going to have to think, I'm going to be thinking about this more over the off season. We'll keep talking about this and um, writing about it and, and breaking things down. But the thing that the things that you need the most for that to be in place are, you know, one, you need a run game. And I know Nathan doesn't agree, but I think, I think for the identity of the way that team played, I think that that was huge. And two, you needed a dominant pass defense, like one that, and that can come from secondary first. I mean, the 2012 team, did not have a great pass rush. People don't remember that, but they did not. They had Chris Clemens, and that was about it. And when he got out, um, Bruce Irvin was the only guy left, and and he wasn't very good as an end. So um, they got by with a dominant secondary there. You got Shaq Griffin, like maybe Delano Hill, hopefully. Maybe he's really good. I don't know. Um, But you need to add more in the secondary, or you need to create a dominant defensive line. So – 
I feel like you got to stair step this thing. And um, the biggest way you can really add toughness to a team is, is generally on the lines, offensive line, defensive line. Those are the two places that you can really change the toughness of a team. So look, unless you guys have a plan, I'm not, I'm not seeing a clear one right now where you turn the defensive line that probably that could very well lose three of the four starters into a dominant group next year. Um, offensive line, maybe closer. Do you guys agree that the offensive line is more likely to be a, a dominant group next year? If cable gets fired, yes. If cable gets fired, uh, then the defensive line? No. I think Clark, Reed, Naz, Jordan, maybe Bennett. Um, maybe they add somebody. Maybe Malik comes back. I think there's a lot more talent, younger talent on the defensive line, um, which doesn't say that I wouldn't be optimistic about this offensive line if they got a real offensive line coach. Um, but I would still lean to the defensive line. You know, I, I think you make a really good point. Like, I, I think you can look at like Jacksonville or, you know, that Minnesota team's pretty good. Or you can look at the Broncos defense from a couple years ago and you can say, oh, yeah, those are kind of like the the Niners or the Seahawks defenses, right? And you can probably find, I mean, you can probably, you can certainly find offenses that have been sure. better. Uh, but for one team that has both of those pieces. And the top five special teams. Right. It, it was a historically good team. There's a very good chance we'll never see a team that good again in our lifetime. At least not a Seahawks team that good. Um, and, but I don't know that this team can't but if you're looking at it that way and you're just saying okay let's say 2013 we're just gonna you know put that on the pedestal and, and call it the best Seahawks team that'll ever be I don't know that this team can't be really good this next year I mean thinking about some more you, you do have Frank you have all the guys on the defensive line that we talked about you have Frank you have Bobby who can who's a defensive player of the year type player you have Earl who's a defensive player of the year type player you've got maybe Sherm we'll see what he comes back like you've got Shaq that's kind of up and coming um there is some talent on the defense and then you've got russell who is a when he's playing the way he at playing at his best he's an mvp candidate so maybe i, I don't know i've struggled with this a lot this year because i thought this was gonna be a great year i thought they were gonna be a really special team and i thought that because they have a lot of talent and i still think they have talent and maybe i'm just overvaluing the talent um but i think this is a coaching issue and so maybe if you make coaching improvements and you unleash Russ and you get him to something like that 2015 level, why can't this team be great next year? A good model for the Seahawks, if we would have asked you guys last year this time what, do you, what you thought about the Rams with no first-round pick, what would you guys have said? That this team, that they, were, they look pretty hopeless, right? I mean, I think everyone picked them for about four or five wins, right? Yeah. They had a hell of an offseason without a first-round pick. I what Nathan just said, they made major coaching changes and it completely changed. The Seahawks personnel isn't set up. Obviously, they don't have Aaron Donald and Todd Gurley. That helps a lot. Or Robert Quinn. But with coaching changes and maybe an offseason where you do hit on a bunch of personnel, they hit on a lot of free agents. They got Whitworth and Robert Woods. And they hit a couple other guys. Wade Phillips, obviously, the coach. They can take a jump pretty quick if they hit, have a good offseason and hit on some draft picks and really utilize free agency well. and. Yeah, I think coaching is a big part of it. And that's why I said before, I'd like to see Bevel gone. I'd like to see Cable gone. I'd even consider a change with Chris Richard, but I don't, I don't see that happening per se. But 
Yeah. And so, so that helps bring me back guys. Cause I, what I was getting at, what I was trying to, the train of thought I was trying to get to is there is no teams that are good as good as those teams were. And so, yes, I don't think, as Nathan said, I don't think we're going to rebuild that team. I don't, I don't think that's realistic, especially in a year, but I don't think the bar is, is high. <laughs> like I just don't um, like this Seahawks team has beat. Uh, they beat the Patriots last year in new England which went on to win the Super Bowl. They beat the, the Falcons, who should have won the Super Bowl. Um, they they beat, this year, they beat the Eagles with Carson Wentz, who, you know, were clear-cut favorites and absolutely would have, I think absolutely would have represented the NFC in the Super Bowl if um, Wentz hadn't got injured. Um, that would have been my pick for sure, and I think most people's logical pick. So, yes, I mean, I... I don't think any of those teams are as good as those previous teams, but what's been missing from Seattle has been the consistency. And I think the part where I, I would feel so much more confident in their ability to turn this, if they had a second and third round pick next year, I, I think that's a really hard nut to crack and trading back from 18, you know, out of the first round to, to end up having a second and two thirds or whatever they end up with wouldn't make me feel that much better. Like, I think that they need difference makers. And I know all the, the data around accumulation of draft picks over, you know, you know, having one, but I absolutely believe that, that your chances of drafting a difference maker with a higher first round pick are better than having three picks in the second and third round, you know, total. Um, and, and, you know, last year was, was a case in point for me. Like I think they traded back a number of times and pretty much every player that went between their original draft position of the first round and when they picked pretty much everyone would have been better than what they ended up with, including the guys that they added with those, like, you know, Mike Tyson and things like Tedrick Thompson, whatever they got with those additional picks. That's just so hard to say, though. I mean, we don't know what Malik Dow would have been this year. I, I wasn't even that big on Malik Dow in, in the draft process, but I, I, I don't know. I've, you have to give him an incomplete on that, I think. I don't, I don't think it's fair to um, knock John Schneider on that pick. I, I really don't, Brian. I know there's been to tons of discussion about that, but yeah, that whole thing is silly. Like people keep saying, like, oh, there's question marks about like McDowell's character. Like, yeah, that he was lazy sometimes, or that he took plays off. Now that he was going to go get an ATV accident, totally. that, that's all weird. Exactly. You can't predict an <laughs> ATV accident. Hopefully, no, that's fair, guys. But yeah. and I, and I, that's definitely not a drum I would beat like you know vigorously. Um, there's other drums I do beat vigorously when you guys aren't around. But um, <laughs> you can knock the process though. But. I think there's reason that Malik Badal was available when he was, when he was available. Um, and I do think that there is something to be said for the Seahawks get pretty wrapped up in the idea that they can fix people that, that they, they see guys different than everybody else that they get their hands on them and they'll be different. You know, they did that with Frank Clark and it worked out, right? Like everyone was like, what are you doing? This guy's beat women. Uh, you, you shouldn't be doing this. And, I think there's some people that would probably say that that's still they still shouldn't have done that. Um, 
he did knock a Fetty out of like three preseason games, but <laughs> I, for, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> I mean, I was let's there. Not, let's not say we're completely out of the woods on that one quite yet. He dropped him like a sack of potatoes, man. He really did. Fetty's like the man, and he just dropped him. Um, yeah, good point. But anyway, I don't know. Like that's probably it's a reductive discussion, but. I think that the Seahawks get a little arrogant in their personnel decisions in terms of how much they can reach for somebody um, and what things they will ignore in order to take them. And, you know, I think there were some no brainer players. I mean, God, Ryan Ramchick was not a guy that you had to think hard about, like whether he was going to be a good addition. He's been a huge part of the Saints success this year, right? Cam Robinson, a lot of people thought that guy was a pretty clear, like, he would have been a pretty big addition, I think, to this team. Like we talked about Reuben Foster, um, you know, anyway, you can go on down the line, but there's pretty much every one of those players could have been an impact player. And um, anyway, uh, I want to see them keep the 18th pick. Um, and I want to see that, you know, assuming that the guy that they really like comes to them, um, I just want to make sure that they get the best possible difference maker. Even if that's the only thing that they come out of this draft with is one guy who projects to be a pro bowler or an all pro, that would be a successful draft. I, I don't need to add 17 guys. It would be great if they did, but don't give me, Evan, you've been banging the drum about don't go after the middle class and free agency. Don't resign the middle class. Don't give me the middle class of draft picks. Don't give me a bunch of, you know, like average starters. Like that's not what this team needs. And to expect that they're going to consistently hit in the fifth round, that was fun. We all had fun with that, but that's not the way it works. Like you don't, you don't consistently hit in the fifth round, but you do, you are expected to consistently hit in the first round. Um, so anyway, that, that's my rant there. Um, but not nearly as entertaining as Evans, I admit, but uh, <laughs> do any of you guys think that John Schneider is going to jump ship to Green Bay? You know, Pete Carroll is pretty emphatic about it today. Um, what, what's your stress level on that topic? I'm pretty <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of, I'm kind of freaking out about it. Obviously, there's the clause in his contract. Bullshit. I don't give a single crap about the clause. If Josh Schneider interviews for that job and they offer him that job, Paul Allen's not going to hold him hostage. Come on. That's not happening. He, Josh Schneider grew up in Green Bay, like 10 minutes south of Green Bay. The dude has been a Packers fan his entire life. If he, I think he's going to interview, and if he gets offered that position, oh, boy, I think he's gone. I really do. I'm, I'm worried. I really oh. How big, how, how big of an impact do you think that would be if John Schneider left relative to everything else? Massive, massive, because him and Pete are like this. They work in stride. It's their relationship is the focal point of this franchise. I mean, it, it's. But Pete would get to hire whoever he replaces John with. Yeah. So it's not like he's going to get somebody forced on him. Uh, I would be a lot more worried if Scott McLuhan wasn't sitting out there. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if there was a year where he was going to leave, where Schneider was going to go, this is the year you want him to go, right? Like, I mean, it, it at least you have a plan B. 
Do you? I mean, are, are you sure? I mean, Scott McLuhan was asked to leave the organization, um, you know, when he was working. It wasn't like, you know, Scott got some offer somewhere. Um, he was asked to leave. And I think part of that was John Schneider being a really close friend with Scott and knowing that Scott needed to not be in the front office anymore and not need to be, you know, he needed to be dealing with his, his demons, so to speak. But I'm not assuming that Scott McLuhan, would, the phone would ring if John Schneider left. I know we'd all love that to potentially be the answer. I don't even know if Scott McLuhan for sure believes that the right thing for him to do is to go back into a GM position. I mean, he did it with the Redskins. Sounded like he left without necessarily him wanting to leave. So maybe, but um, if, I, I guess I would feel better if I knew that that was going to be the case. I, I'm not sure that, that we can, we can count if on that. Daryl believes in redemption stories for his players. He should believe in redemption stories for his coaches. He's uh, he's looked to redeem people with some bigger demons than McLuhan's. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You, I, I, they should they should consider it. No doubt. I, you don't have to convince me. I, I'm just <laughs> – I look at this possibility of John Schneider leaving as, you know, a, a massive, an epic, um, you know, a titanic uh, effect on the organization. Like – a disaster. What would I do with my Josh Schneider shirt? But you can still wear it. You can still wear There's it. There's not like a law against it. Vintage. <laughs> I feel so sad every time I saw it. <laughs> Don't you hate the Packers? I do hate the Packers. It's Josh Schneider's one sinful area in his life. It's uh, you know, it's a, it's a parasite. That's John yeah. Shatter's demons. Yeah. I'd have to find a new place to donate, uh, you know, our, our proceeds. You know, Ben's fund would go as well. That's a big deal. So, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. I, Jeff, where are you? I mean, do, do you think, do you think that there's a realistic chance that Schneider leaves? Absolutely. There's a realistic chance until I start seeing that he's interviewing there. I'm still a little calmer than Evan. But I know my stress level than Evan. That's not safe. Yeah, I just know my stress levels. Once I see those reports of Schneider's interviewing there, I know my stress levels are going to jump. I think this team has so much uncertainty right now. They do not need uncertainty at one of the biggest positions in the organization. They need stability right now. This is a this is the biggest offseason probably of in a long, long time. I can't pinpoint an exact year, but they have so much change right now. They've they pretty much hit rock bottom as what this season can. Was was considering how all in they went. So if, if you lose him too, as much as we have mentioned some personnel issues and they haven't been great with the drafts, man, I'm gonna get real stressed out because I don't. I just don't need that stress right now. There's there's too much stress on team. <laughs> I think you should write in about that. You know, your stress level does not need Josh Schneider. What were you gonna say? Pete left the door open too today he really did that conversation let's not act like he didn't he was like you know john's got a family too he grew up in green bay and those sentences gave me a heart attack at 20 years old it was oh my god i don't know if they've talked about it recently but the way that carol talked about it i know they've talked about him going to green bay oh they so have they so have like Pete was absolutely like all over it. Like, oh yeah, it's a, I mean, effectively just like, oh yeah, it's a dream job. Like Pete knew like exactly how important that was to, to Schneider. I so, mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's unique for someone to talk to John. I've talked to John about that. I mean, he's pretty open about it. Um, 
So, look, I think that I had the same reaction to his interview this morning on Brock and Saul. Like, he definitely started strong. He's like, oh, yeah, he's coming back. And then he opened the door. And I was like, damn it. Why did you do that? <laughs> and then this afternoon, I haven't actually heard it for myself, but in the press conference that Pete had, he was much more definitive about John's coming back, that this is something they do together. Um, so I have to go back and listen to that and see if it's more convincing to me. But it sounded like it was it was more emphatic and less of a leaving the door open thing. Um, so look, if I had to put, if I had to put odds on this, I would say there's a 70% chance that Schneider stays. That's, that's about where I am. I think that's fair. I we should do this for all the, 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 the whole team. So like Pete's a hundred percent, right? Is anyone not on Pete's Pete? 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Schneider is 70%. Is that about where everybody is? Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Bevel. 50. 50. Yeah, 50. 50. I'm I'm more confident on Bevel. I I think he's I think he gets the benefit of the doubt if they move from cable. I think Bevel maybe stays. So I'm going like 66%. I'm going like 2 thirds confident. Okay. Uh Richard. I'd say 90% chance he's back. I don't, I don't think he's leaving. I'd say ninety-five percent. He's back. Yeah, I'd say like ninety. I, I think I think he's a totally mediocre DC. I, I, but he's Pete's guy, right? I mean, like the only way he leaves is if he gets he actually gets one of these jobs, right? That's my so awesome because I'll tell you. <laughs> I will keep going through your list in a second, but Vic Fangio, that guy's my dream hire. He was the one that defense coordinator. For Jim Harbaugh at Stanford, as well as with the 49ers. Um, and, man, I've heard so many things from so many people about how smart he is. He's one of the smartest coaches people believe in the game. Um, and he made that Bears defense actually not that bad, considering the lack of talent that they have um, on there. Like, God, put him in a room with Pete Carroll as part of rebuilding this defense, I would feel so much better. Plus, I don't know if he's interested, but he has the potential to be a future head coach. I don't see anyone on the Seahawks staff right now that could take over for Pete. That was Dan Quinn's job, um, and he was too good to stick around. So, anyway, that's my big fan, Joe Ram. Um, right. Go on. Cable. 100, 140%. <laughs> that he stays? Yeah, I, I think there's almost zero chance he leaves. So you think it's more likely that Bevel leaves than Cable? I do. I do. And, not, and I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that's what I want. I'm true, saying true. that's what will happen. Brian? <laughs> Give us your real take, not your contrarian take. Yeah, <laughs> tell I us the number you want to tell us. Don't overthink things. I think Cable, I'd give it a a 65% chance that he's back. Jeff? I'm around 60. I've been very upset that I haven't seen Cable's name lurking for any head coaching jobs yet. I was kind of hoping that would be the transition out. It would have been a smooth exit. Wouldn't have to deal with firing him, but since that Colts rumor, he hasn't been mentioned for an interview. So they're as smart as we are. (laughs) 
<laughs> that rumor came out before the Arizona game, right? And then they saw Russell getting tackled, like, before oh, he could hand off. Yeah. Uh, happy so, I've been on. But so, okay, so Pete was talking in the interview today where he was talking about, you know, he was asking Brock and Salk to be respectful. You know, it's tough. It's coaches. They have family. They're people. It sounded like they're going to make some changes. Do we think that there's are, – are, is anyone, like, not, like, 50% or 100% that they're going to make a change? Just no, some think, change somewhere? I think they're going to make a change. I, I So I think there's a 95% chance they're going to make a change at quarterback coach. Wow. Um, I think – and, again, I think that – so I said 50% chance Bev will be back. I'll drop that to, like, 30. I, I, think, I, think, I think Bevel and, and Tater are, are gone. What is the what does the fallout from that look like? Does that mean Cable takes over the OC thing altogether, and it's just OC and OL? Does he get like an assistant? I think he probably has an assistant offensive line coach already. Like, what would that? Because to me, it's much cleaner if they move on from Cable, and then Bevel just is kind of the OC or whatever, the, and they get an offensive line coach. But it seems like it gets a little like there's a lot of questions if that's the way they go, where they lose Bevel and they keep Cable. What would happen is Cable would take over all play calling duties. He would take over all the defensive play calling duties. He would take over Schneider's job as GM as well and uh-huh. draft for uh-huh. every position. Um, at least that's what I'm hearing. Okay, good. Awesome. I'm excited <laughs> for it. <laughs> that's I've, actually why I've always been an LA Schneider. Rams fan anyway. So. <laughs> that's why they feel comfortable with Schneider moving to Green Bay. It's like they know that they got Cable in the back pocket. <laughs> To make all the draft choices, so no, I, I think that's a fair point. I, 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 I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just that would be uh, I would be really curious to see how that all shakes out. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I think the thing with with Cable that that makes me think he's more likely to stick around is one, I just think he's a more of a fixture in the locker room. Two, and you can dismiss that all you want, but I, I think just. You know, if you're in a business or you're in a group and there's someone who's just like core to it, it's less likely that they're going to be evicted. It's just kind of the way human nature works, um, even if if we don't like it. Um, I think that he embodies whether or not he's been able to actually produce it. Pete Carroll's philosophy um, really clearly, Uh, you know, he and Pete are very much on the same page. Daryl Bevel was like Pete's second or third OC that they brought in. They kept looking for somebody. And I think Bevel's been a nice guy and a guy that's been willing to be like overruled by people that probably shouldn't be overruling him. But, you know, I think he's kind of ineffectual. I'm not sure he's a, he's a real leader. Um, I don't think he's a strong voice. And I think that's why he's never been a head co- real true head coach candidate. And, uh, I, I think that they believe that someone who can come in with a new scheme could probably make a bigger difference than someone who comes in um, with a new, you know, blocking scheme, whether we agree with that or not. That that would be my assessment of how they think about this. It'll be fascinating to see. When's the timing of that? When does this usually happen? You know, I looked at that, like, last – I looked at that this morning because um, – so – Sherman Smith was let go in February, like mid-February last year. And the Seahawks' last game was early January, like January 
10th or 12th when they, they, they were out. So um, that was longer than I thought, you know, that, that, that they took a month to get there. Um, I wonder, I mean, that, that's a pretty low level, not that critical position. And I don't think they really, I don't even know who they replaced him with. I, I don't know how big of a deal it is or how hard it is to find somebody. They might've had someone in, you know, in the organization to step up. I think if they're thinking about moving on from an OC or from a, you know, assistant head coach, they got to make that move soon. It's like, it's like when you've got a veteran on your roster that in training camp, you know, you're not going to keep him after the preseason game so he can catch on somewhere else. Like, one out of respect for those guys, you got to give them a chance to interview for some of these openings that are available, um, or to get situated. Not only for NFL positions, but colleges are currently you know, like they're looking at these guys are going to be head coaches in a college position. They'd want to look now. And then the other part of it is <laughs> the team's got to put it out there that they're going to be looking for these roles too and start recruiting because the other other people are already doing that for head coaching roles they're going to have to have conversations with people starting now uh, about these rules. So I think that it could happen as soon as the end of this week um, that, that we start hearing about this stuff, but I'd be surprised if it's much sooner than that. Bates was fired the first Tuesday after their last game. Um, and obviously that'd be today. And, and now you got like new year's and all that kind of maybe makes it different, but um yeah, I think what you said there, like, I mean, there's already talk about, you know, some of these. I think there was a report that, like, Gruden, who I don't think has actually accepted the job yet, but that he's already talked to, uh, he's already got his defensive coordinator lined up. So if they don't do it sooner than later, they're going to be behind the eight ball. Yeah, and, and the reason I think it's different than Jeremy Bates is Pete was – you know, there was no doubt in Pete's mind about, like, this guy's not my guy. Like, no more fourth and one fades to Ruvel Martin. Like, done. Um, and, like, they were philosophically at odds. And so that was not a hard decision. And it's like, boom, we're moving on. I think, I mean, Pete is, we've all talked about it, he's a pretty loyal guy. And I think he, some part of him absolutely feels like he's got the right coaches. He's won Super Bowls with these coaches. And that change for change sake is not the right way to go and continuity is, is valuable. And so I think that they're going to be really thorough and, you know, he and John have probably already been talking about it. I think they'll keep talking about it, but I also think, I think they know that there's got to be change. And the other thing that's worth calling out is Pete gets ultimate decision-making power here, but Paul Allen, that's Brian. you lost me. Or did, did I, did, no, go ahead. Never mind. You're good. <laughs> okay. Um, but the thing that people forget is Paul Allen and Burt Cold, um, who's, who's Paul Allen. They don't, they don't put up with losing very well. They have a hard time staying out of these decisions. Um, I've seen them. I, I've talked about the Blazers. They get way more involved with Blazers stuff than Seahawks stuff, but they fired a guy like their GM multiple years in a row and got involved with all sorts of coaching stuff. And there's all sorts of horror stories about how they run things sometimes. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, one of them is like, Pete, it's got to, you got to change your, your line sucks. Get rid of Tom Cable. You know, you need to do that. 
that could also be happening here. And so that would make make you guys very happy. We buy yeah, we can we buy that guy a beer? <laughs> I would be happy to Yes, we can definitely buy those guys a beer and something tells them they could afford it. Can we send them Pagliacci pizza? Yes, great point. You know, um we will have to have a Pagliacci pizza party if um you know we get some new coaches. I think that would I think that would be worth a celebration. Pete would be so dis disappointed in this right now. We're not being respectful at all. Throwing a pizza party for well, poor look, Tom Cable losing. Here's, here's my here's my equivocation there, guys. Is like like I said, I think it's best for Daryl Bevel to move on. For him. I, I really think that. I think that you know, you heard Doug Baldwin come out and just like defend the hell out of him and say it was all the players. And Evan, you didn't like that. I personally like that. I thought I respected that. He's trying to take accountability and not put it on, you know, the coaches. Um, but the fact of the matter is Joe Bevel is absolutely gets a lot of blame and whether anyone wants to hear it or not has to design an offense around some, some limitations with, with Russell Wilson that are unique to Russell Wilson, not like, Every quarterback has limitations and you have to design things around him, but Russell does have some unique things to him. Um, so, you know, it, it may be best for Bevel to go to another situation where, you know, he can, he can spread his wings a little bit more. Um, so it's not all just kicking him to the curb. Evan, why didn't you like what Doug said? What, what bugged you about that? So, well, first of all, I, I respect what he said. Like, I, I understand the psychology of what he's doing in terms of like putting the focus on the players, like it's execution. I think that's great. I, I, I understand where he's coming from, but I think he's wrong. Like he, he's, he's clearly taking the, the high road here, not throwing his coaching under the bus. But I, I mean, the results speak for themselves. Bevel is absolutely included in this blame. And we need a young, innovative offensive coordinator that will work to Russell's strengths build around his strengths and make his job easy. If we can make Jared Goff look good, we can make Russell Wilson look good. Okay. Like change is good. Sometimes let's, let's get somebody new, please, please. God. Was it just me or was this might be just my journalism background. I thought Doug was taking a shot at Russell. Why, you know, why, why does everyone think that? Tell me, tell me like, <laughs> Because I, I saw his press conference the day before, and the way he answered this one question where he bit his lip and they asked him why the offense always starts slow. And he had this look in his face like he really wanted to say something, but he couldn't. And he even said, I wish I could tell you, but I can't. I don't know why. For To me, my instinct was Russell. I think that says more about you, Jeff, than it does about anything. <laughs> I don't know. I think that was a common takeaway for a lot of people. And I kind of thought too, I would say the, because, and then, you know, he turns around and he defends Bevel and very explicitly defends Bevel. So if it's not Bevel and I, you know, he says he wants to tell you, but he can't, I mean, it could be rest. I haven't heard him defend Cable all that much. Maybe he's tired of the, the blocking. I don't know. Uh, well, he wasn't taking on – he clearly was saying it was the players, not the coaches. So we know that. So I don't think he was going to say it was Cable. But he did say very clearly, like, our identity was a running team um, that was tough and we played great defense, and we don't do that anymore. That's not Russell. 
Like that's that's the offensive line. That's the running backs. Like Doug Baldwin was a very close friend of Marshawn Lynch and you know a huge backer of him. And you know, I, I think that he very easily could be talking about that position, like CJ Procise, who's you know, Mr. Glass. Um, and you know, every time he comes back, they still give him the role and he gets hurt again. You know, Thomas Rawls, who goes out there and gets a, you know, a ridiculous um, penalty after finally getting some yards multiple weeks in a row. Or um, anyway, I think that I think there's a narrative out there that Doug Baldwin does not like Russell Wilson. And so the assumption is that when he said that he was talking about Russell Wilson, he could have been. I mean, I, I'm not saying he wasn't, but uh, to assume that it's not the offensive line when he talks about the running game that makes less sense to me. I mean, the offensive line, everybody knows, like everybody knows that has been the number one problem for that team. So, um, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, Maybe it was that, uh, get me the effing ball tirade the week before <laughs> when he was mic'd up. But I, I, I don't think he doesn't like him. So I think he's just saying Russell needs to play better in the first half. Well, yeah, I know we're, we're, we keep, we keep going here. This, I could, yeah, I don't, I don't want to. Yeah, that was just my instinct. No, no, I think that's fine. But like, think about Pete. Pete, another thing we didn't talk about. Pete said this morning was he talked about Russell. Like he, he, he clearly said. Um, I, I wish I had the quote. And I, I should have written it down. But he talked about that Russell needs to improve. That that he. He has he has room to improve and he needs to improve something along those lines. And he said something weird too, where he said, "I talked to him at halftime, probably in a way he's like not used to me talking to him or something like that." And I don't know. It sounded like maybe Pete just cussed out Russ or something. I don't know. I wish I could be a fly in the wall sometimes. But uh, I, you know, going back to the the Doug thing though, I love that Doug probably hates Russell Wilson. I think that's great. I love that Doug's kind of an asshole and he pooped a ball one time and he wants <laughs> the fucking ball. And, you know, I want to needle Russ. I want him, you know, better. I kind of like that they maybe are like uh, siblings that can't stand each other. Which I, I, I might be a common thing with Doug. I love the hell to Doug, but that is the way Sherman described him too. Doug might just be kind of annoying sometimes i don't know <laughs> yeah what were you gonna say evan i co-sign on that I, lo- I i think everybody looks at this like potential doug russ friction in a relationship as a bad thing i think it's a phenomenal thing i think doug critiques him in a constructive way and i i think he i think doug baldwin makes russell wilson better not just as a football player but emotionally too i think um every player needs to be critiqued every player needs to be criticized to be better and I, I think Russell would agree with that. I think, I think very few players are like Doug Baldwin, where they're willing to call out shit when they see it. And Doug doesn't hold back a lot, and I love that about him. I think, I think his fire, I think his passion is absolutely necessary, and I hope he's a Seahawk forever because of it. Yeah, I, I don't know if I, I'm not there with you guys on that. I, I think that the quarterback receiver relationships. Um, I mean, sure, there are receivers out there that are that are divas and probably never will get along with any quarterback or any other player. But that's not who I who I see Doug Baldwin as. Um, and I think it would be if there's a rift there, which I, I'm not certain that there is. Um, 
I don't think that's healthy. Like, I, I think that you'd be much better off not having division in the locker room. I think Marshawn Lynch was a division in that locker room and, and created factions and they made it through. They made it work. But I don't, I don't know that I'd say that that's a good thing. Um, that's just I don't know if there's a riff. I just think he's saying he needs to play better and that's why the offense is struggling. I don't think it's that deep. I think it's just constructive. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's a riff. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that where I would go and, and agree with and I, is in this Seth Wickersham story this, this summer when they talked about that on Tell the Truth Monday, it was Tell the Truth Monday about everyone but the quarterback. I would bet that that's true. Like, that's my impression of how Pete, Pete and John have had rose-colored glasses about that for a long time. And I think they, they had a rookie quarterback who I think they came into the league wanting to make sure was taken care of and, and um, knew that they were throwing him into a really tough situation. And so I think they sheltered him a little bit more early on, more sheltered. They sheltered him more than other players. And I think that probably had a much more negative ripple effect than, than they, they even realized it would. Um, and I think they never got out of that habit. Um, that's my impression. I don't have that, that you know, as, as a fact, but that's my impression. And I mean, the thing that I, I see with Doug Baldwin is that's a guy who does his job maybe better than anyone else on the team. Like he, since he's gotten here, has changed his, um, his, routine to where you know like he doesn't you know knock on wood he doesn't miss games i mean this guy is he's had some pretty tough injuries that he's played through he shows toughness when he's given opportunities his efficiency rate is through the roof i mean he's one of the most efficient receivers in the nfl and if he was in a higher volume offense if he played with tom brady i think doug baldwin would be a hall of fame player i mean i think he'd be significantly better than julian edelman i think that's how good he would be uh with, with in that kind of offense um, so I think that where Doug gets some credibility to talk is that he does his job really well. And, and when people say that the receivers don't get open, Doug Baldwin gets open a lot. He gets open a lot. And if you had someone that was more involved with, if you had more of a rhythm offense where things were being delivered in anticipation of, of coming, people coming out of breaks, which we've gotten more of, but it's not like a fu fundamental part of this team, then Doug Baldwin would be more effective. I mean, I think, so in that sense, yes, I think he can, he can speak with some authority, but, you know, someone was saying, gosh, you know, he should come out and name names. Like, <laughs> I don't get it. I, I think that, I think that if, if I was, if I was talking to Doug Baldwin right now and, and he's, he was telling me, let's just say for a second, he said, yes, Russell Wilson's the problem. He is the whole problem. First thing I'd ask him is like, well, what have you done to help him? Like, are you sitting in there with him working through like how to get a better chemistry with you coming out of certain routes? Like a player going off and just saying another player is not good enough or another group of players isn't good enough. You know, I care more about what you're doing about it than the fact that you're pissed off about it. For sure. All right. Well, the only other thing I'm wondering is, do you guys think that Aaron Rodgers is going to be put on waivers? <laughs> I like 70% on it. And John Schneider is going to have to like, you know, find a new quarterback as his first uh, thing. you going to trade for uh, Russell. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. 
Okay, wait. I got. He's gonna trade for Russell. He's gonna sign Jimmy on a one-year prove-it deal, and they're gonna score. Jimmy's gonna like break touchdown records, and uh, they won a Super Bowl. Oh my gosh! Wow, maybe they'll actually utilize him effectively. Yeah, imagine that. Oh my gosh! I, I now I was thinking about all the like who who would John Schneider pilfer from the Seahawks if he went to the Green Bay? That no, would... I can't. I can't think about this. this is <laughs> it's Russell, though, right? John Schneider would pilfer like that's the dude that John would come for, right? Maybe, maybe. I yeah, think, like, the short list is Russ, Doug, and Earl. Oh, that's Earl probably Thomas would retire. legend. Oh man! All right, fellas, thank you for the marathon tonight. This is great, um, and uh, we are going to absolutely get together through the off season. We haven't had this before, but hopefully, you guys are available. If not, I will be happy to sit here talking to myself because you know I do that anyway um there's gonna be so much that happens and for the first time in a long time there's gonna be openings for players to come in and really make a difference there likely will be new coaches that come in and change schemes um that we haven't seen before that could take players that were ineffective and make them more effective like there is some opportunity for things to really shift um this year and i think that we haven't seen john schneider and pete carroll as motivated to turn over a team and really jumpstart a team like this since you know 2010 when they came in i think this is going to be you know i don't know if we're going to see 250 roster moves this year but um i think we could be in for one of the most interesting off seasons uh, in seahawks history so looking forward to having you guys around for it um for folks that are watching please subscribe um to the channel uh you'll get notified when we have new shows come up um, and uh, if you're not already a, a Patreon, um, pa uh, Hawkblogger patron, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Hawkblogger. Sign up there. Um, I have some pretty exciting things that I might be able to offer folks. I uh, haven't confirmed it yet, but for people that remain patrons over the off season where it's a little bit different, a little bit not, not week to week, um, I may be able to arrange some calls um, for some of you with some Seahawks players. So um, I'm working on that and um, I'll get more information uh, probably in the next three or four weeks. So uh, thank you guys. This is a great conversation and I'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Go Hawks.